podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Sons of UCF, the number one place for UCF sports. With your distinguished hosts, Adam. What was your reaction when you got notified that you were going to be a, a Hall of Famer? How does that sound to you, Coach O'Leary Hall of Famer? Yeah, I'm in a number of Hall inductions in a number of Hall of Fame. And Mike. I don't know if you know this, but I won the 5K race that we did. Oh, boy. Now, here are the guys. All right. Uh, Sons of UCF, we are back for another week, the 152nd episode of Sons of UCF. My name is Adam, and as always, my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike one on Twitter, by the way, is back for another week. Mike, uh, Saturday was rough. How are you feeling as we record this on Monday? Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. I'm not going to do what everybody thinks I'm going to do and just flip it out. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm taking this one better than I took the last two losses. I'll tell you that. Okay. I'd, I'd much rather you just kick my ass, let me know from the beginning I have no shot in this game, than drag me along for three and a half hours and rip my heart out at the end. I, I, I appreciate what happened on Saturday. Cincinnati was a better team. We got our asses kicked. That's it. Nothing we can do about it. Wow. An appreciative UCF Mike who was glad that, uh, you know, he, he got uh, his ass kicking early. Uh, he got it early and often, by the way, as Cincinnati steamrolls UCF 56 to 21. Obviously, we will recap all of the things that went right, and that won't take very long. And then we'll go through all the things that went wrong. That may take a lot longer on the rest of the episode. We also will look at where are we now? What happens next? We're midway through the season. Where we go from here, Mike and I will break all that down and give you our unfiltered thoughts on the remainder of the 2021 season. We'll do some UCF observations. We'll go back to Mike's picks. We'll get cow of the week. All that stuff will be interspliced throughout the entire, the entirety of the episode. And if you enjoy what we're doing here, and I don't know why you wouldn't, by the way, make sure you find us on all the social media platforms. Just search at sons of UCF, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, um, what am I forget? Instagram. Uh, again, Mike is at UCF Mike one, our website, two nights media.com bookmark that page. It's one of the spots where you can get our exclusive live show on Thursdays with Trace Chucko, 8 PM on the internet and stay tuned coming up in this episode. We have the exclusive reveal of the winner of the free tickets to the Memphis game on Friday night. If you listen to the live show, Trace gave you all a challenge. I have our exclusive winner coming up here in a little bit. I will, I will reveal that live here on the show it's not live for you it's live for mike and i but mike what wasn't live was the game on saturday even though it was live on tv ucf did not appear to be live 56 21 the now number two ranked cincinnati bearcats bearcats rather gave us all we can handle gave it to us early gave it to us often and we go down your thoughts on saturday are what we lost to a better football team all around. They were better on offense. They were better on defense. They were better on special teams. They were better coached. 
everything about that team right now is better. We've completely flipped roles from where we were three years ago when we did the same thing to them mm-hmm. on the college game day game. We beat them up 38-13 at home in front of a raucous crowd. Well, we got payback this time. The last two years were a lot closer games, three-point games. We had chances to win those. This year, there was no chance to win it from the very beginning. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of injuries coming into this game. We're not coming in at full strength. I still think even if we were at full strength, I don't know if we have enough this season to beat this team. They were that good on Saturday, and there was really nothing we could do about it. We were down 35 um, nothing uh, midway through the second half, or second quarter, rather. Uh, scored a late touchdown there to at least get on the board, Mike. There was a while there where I think we were all wondering, would we even score? Could we even get on the scoreboard? Forget that 20-and-a-half uh, line from Vegas. Turns out that wasn't even close. Uh, at some points, we were just curious, could UCF Fast actually put on any points? And it w- it was bleak. We're going to kind of mix in our categories throughout this entirety. Uh, and so I'm going I'm to start off, Mike, with my first one, um, if you don't mind. I'm going to start off with... Uh, and, and I'm just going to label this just the start of the game, the, the early offense from the game, Mike. It just seemed like here's the best analogy I can give you. I don't know if you think this is true or not. We started that game offensively. To me, it felt like a boxer who got who gets in the ring and doesn't want to throw any punches, wants to kind of move around a little bit, just see what the other guy's got, maybe you know, uh, fake a, a jab here or there or something, but you're just kind of bobbing and weaving. You're not really throwing any punches. You're not really looking to, to be offensive. You're just hoping you don't get hit too much. Then you take a couple shots, and you kind of dust it off, and you're still not throwing any punches. It just felt like we started the game off, and we just – we didn't want to do anything. Like our first three possession, our first six possessions were all punts. We punted our first six times uh, with when we had the football. We had one drive extended past uh, a three and out of those first six drives, and the seventh drive was an INT. And it seemed like we kept doing the same things over and over and over again. My general sense, and I don't, I don't know who to blame this on. This is going to sound super critical, and I know you just mentioned injuries. I know you mentioned, you know, or we're going to mention we have a true freshman quarterback. To me, it felt like Gus genuflected to that Cincinnati defense really early and ran the ball and was like, yep, you know what, they're really good at that. Uh, well, yep, yeah, can't throw the ball either. And it just seemed like we, we had no plan. You know, Gus is one of these guys that, you know, allegedly scripts everything out. We saw in Boise that first drive, he had a really good script of plays. We were kind of marching down the field, and I get the personnel is way different. But it just felt like we, we just did not come out with any sort of plan, and we were just kind of feeling our way through some stuff. And before you knew it, you know, we're down 21 nothing. So my first category, it's a Boca, Mike, and that's that's just the offense, particularly that first-half offense. I don't I – don't, I mean, I, I know Gus went through some stuff, and we can touch on that a little bit, but I, I just find it hard to believe that Gus and uh, G.J. Kinney and Ice Harris sat down and looked at a game plan and drew that out and went to themselves, you know what, this is the game plan that's going to keep us in the game. I just – I have a hard time believing that, Mike. That that offensive game plan, especially early, was just head-scratching to me. Yeah, I mean, i got to give Cincinnati credit. They were good. This is like in baseball. Everybody comes out, and if you don't score, you don't get any hits the first five, six innings, everybody says, oh, the team came out flat. It could be that the other opposing pitcher was just that good, and there was nothing you could do about it. Cincinnati's defense is very good. We came out on that very first drive. We threw an incomplete pass to Johnny Richardson, so all of a sudden, second and ten. And he tried to run it with Johnny. He picks up three. And then he, all the, it's three. It's third and seven. And there's not much we can do on that. I mean, Mikey's looking around. There's nobody open. He runs for two yards. And you have to punt. And that's what it was. It's three and out, three and out, three and out. Interception here. Um, their defense was very good, man. Every time we threw a little pass out to the side, 
they were all over it. We, we lost yards more times than we gained yards on those plays. Uh, we saw what happened when Mikey tried to throw it deep. It got intercepted. So uh, I'm going to give them credit more than it was us not prepared, not game planning for this game. I, I, I think Cincinnati is just that much better. Well, so uh, I'm going to push back a little bit. We're, you said they were they were waiting there. Is it because they we ran the same plays that they scouted? Right? Is it because we ran the same stuff and they were like, oh, here comes that option pitch. Oh, here comes that O'Keefe out of the backfield. It, it didn't feel like we, we did anything uh, of any th- uh, of any substance that was kind of new. Maybe some wrinkles here and there, but it felt like Cincinnati knew the play we were running and were running to the ball just as quickly as we were running to the ball. So, I, again, maybe – you know, maybe you're right. Maybe there's there's some of this, and I'm not trying to take away that Cincinnati is a good defense, but you know, I would have liked to have seen a little extra energy, a little bit of oomph, to, uh, you know, letting letting you know uh, the offense know that we're gonna we're gonna try to be aggressive, we're gonna try to do something to beat this team, um, because I, I think you know to your point, we were playing with house money. They were clearly a better team. We all knew that going in, uh, and so why not try to be aggressive? Now I understand if you're gonna say, hey, we didn't have the horses. You know, we didn't have the, the players that we needed. Uh, we're trying a true freshman quarterback on the road. I get all that stuff, but it just felt like we genuflected really early to their defense and didn't try anything to really, you know, surprise them, to punch them in the mouth, to do anything. And obviously, before you know it, we were, we were down big. And we all knew. I think once, it, once this thing got to 14 and 21, I think we all knew at that point our offense doesn't have enough firepower to, to make a comeback like that. Yeah, once we were down three scores, it was basically over in the first quarter. I mean, Cincinnati hadn't given up that many points all year, and you wanted us to come back and score. And plus, we'd have to stop them the rest of the way. I we all knew that wasn't happening with the way they were just moving the ball with ease. So this thing got ugly quickly. Um, we didn't help ourselves. Obviously, after, after the first three and out, we get a punt block, mm. and the punt goes like seven yards, Eight. sets them up in perfect field position, and you know, away they go. And there was nothing we could do. So it was all around. They were better. Offense, defense, special teams. Yeah. In every phase. They, they had us whoop. And there was <laughs> – I, I I told you guys I was uh, recording the game, so I wasn't watching it live. So I was able uh, – in my mind, I'm coming home. I don't start this thing until about 1 o'clock. And I'm just going through all the scenarios in my head on my way home. Now, are we down 14 nothing? Are we inning? Are we up right now? And I'm just <laughs> wondering what's going on in this game. <laughs> and then I, I knew right away – Good thing I could fast forward the commercials and it kind of made the game go by a little bit quicker. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's nothing we could do on this day. Yeah, that first quarter, Mike, we ran 12 plays, uh, gained a total of 26 yards. Second quarter was a little bit better. A lot of that skewed by a 51 yard run. Uh, that Ryan O'Keefe had uh, on again a, a nice play a play I don't know if we've seen that one uh, a bunch uh, but a nice run by O'Keefe got us a big chunk of yardage I think that ended up being uh, the scoring drive where uh, where uh, Mikey Keene hits Brandon Johnson for a touchdown Mike um, how do you how do you rank Mikey Keene's performance obviously true freshman on the road against uh, to your point a really good defense uh, the number three now number two ranked team in the nation um, how, how do you rank uh, a rate Mikey Keene? He was 16 of 27, 141 yards, uh, one TD, uh, and he had the uh, the two INTs, one that was returned for a pick six. How do you, uh, I guess, how do you rate, how do you judge uh, Mikey's performance? Yeah, well, the number one thing we asked for him to do was don't turn the ball over. He turned it over twice, one of them for six points. So you can't say that he had a great day, only 141 yards. Wasn't giving much help. Obviously, we couldn't run the ball. They stuffed the run. Every time we tried, it's kind of misleading with that 151-yard run that O'Keefe had. Other than that, we didn't do anything. Bowser, 13 carries, 31 yards. Johnny Richardson, 10 carries, 22 yards. Gatewood, 
with the leading rusher after he'll keep 45 yards. So nothing on the ground, nobody getting open. We know how good their secondary was. So it was going to be tough for Mikey. So I, you can't say he played that good, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Only yeah. 141 total yards. He did throw a touchdown. By then, it was already 35 nothing. So, I mean, he's a freshman playing in Cincinnati. We saw the same thing happen in Dylan Gabriel. Not this big of a blowout because I think our team was better back then and their team wasn't as good. So it was a little more even, but um, not much more than what I expected out of Mikey. Yeah, you saw some flashes, right? You saw him do a couple things. He had a dime uh, down the right sideline to Johnny Richardson that actually um, Jay Rich held on to this time, which was great. Uh, but that pick six, Mike, I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw him uh, move his arm back, I was like, don't throw that. Oh, my God. Like, you could just see that was telegraphed. Uh, you could, I don't know if he just didn't get enough zip, if he doesn't have the arm strength to get it out there, but you could kind of see that one telegraphed. And then the early INT was just kind of a, a duck over the middle. I think he was getting, he was getting pressured. He made the freshman mistakes you expect freshmen to make. Uh, you know, he, he did a couple of good things here at any point in time, Mike, were you, would you have been in favor of them taking him out? Uh, obviously we know Gatewood did come in late in the game and kind of ran his package, which I think is kind of designed for him. But at any point in time, were you, were you thinking, or would you have said, Hey, maybe we go to quadri, maybe we try something different. Or do you think, do you think it's important for Mikey to get in there and, and keep getting the reps and get his nose bloody? Yeah, it's good experience for him. He has to get as many snaps as possible against a very good defense and see if he can start moving the ball, which they did start moving a little bit there in the second half. So maybe he saw some things, and now he knows what he needs to work on. And, and he saw different coverages, maybe things that he hadn't seen before. And even though Cincinnati, I don't think, really did much. They, they pretty much played a straight up. They weren't blitzing much. Um, they were just kind of rushing three guys most of the time. And they were still, they were still able to stop the run. Mm-hmm. So, But, uh, yeah, I think it's good experience for him. You, know, you come in, you take your lumps. Just like Desmond Ritter came in, and he took his lumps in 2018 against us. And he's a much better quarterback now for it. So hopefully down the road, this will pay off for him. And some of the good news on offense, uh, at least, uh, Isaiah Bowser made his return in this game. Uh, he ended up with 13 carries for 31 yards and a touchdown. He clearly didn't look like himself, though, Mike. I mean, he, uh, for some reason, he acquired a spin move while he was out because uh, he did the spin move like nine times, spun into uh, Cole Schneider one time and tackled himself. But uh, Bowser back out there gave it a go. Obviously, uh, you know, he... I don't think it's 100%. Yeah, Johnny Richardson had him 10 carries. Uh, he didn't get much done on the ground. He did have one uh, one large reception. Uh, we saw um, uh, Mark Anthony Richards fresh off of his uh, great game against ECU. He got one carry at the end. Uh, we did not see any Trillian Coles, so Trillian Coles did not, uh, did not play. Not sure if there was an injury there. Uh, so the running game, to your point, Joey Gatewood was kind of our, our main guy. Either way, Mike, it just didn't feel like we had a really solid offensive plan. I understand you want to give some credit to Cincinnati, and that's justified. They have a really good defense. But this was the time for Gus to kind of throw the kitchen sink, um, you know, because if we lost this game 56-21 to 21 and we were aggressive, no one would have been uh, any more upset than we are now. It just felt like we, we kind of genuflected early on. Cincinnati was who we thought they were, and then we were like, okay, now let's just, let's just pack this thing. And so I'll start there as one of my categories, Mike. I don't know. You mentioned special teams. I don't know if you have that on your list or not, if you want to go there. Yeah, I was going to get there in a little while, but uh... – we're going to start off with the run defense. Okay, yeah. Poke ball for yeah. the run defense. 336 yards allowed on the ground. Average of eight yards per carry. This Jerome Ford just ate our lunch all day. 190 yards, four touchdowns. The one backbreaker, 79-yard touchdown, make it 28 nothing. That game, blouses, it's over at that point. There's no way we're coming back. 
even the backup, Ryan Montgomery, 95 yards on only eight carries. He averaged 11.9. We just had no answer for them all day. A run defense that did such a good job the week before against East Carolina. We praised them last week. They were just outclassed this week. Uh, The game, like we say, football is won on the lines, and we got our asses kicked on both sides of the ball. They didn't do anything fancy. They just ran it straight down our throats. Nothing we could do about it. We stopped Desmond Ritter. Ritter didn't do much to kill us this week. And he only threw for 140 yards. Actually, Mikey Keene threw for a yard more than he did. He only ran for 26 on the ground. He he didn't really kill us. It was the running game. Jerome Ford. You know the last time somebody ran for four touchdowns against UCF? You had to go back to 2003. Oh. Walter Reyes of Syracuse. Jeez. Did it. Yeah, a long time ago. This guy dominated us. He was the player of the week in the AAC last week. Probably going to be that again this week for his performance against us. Or should so, be. the run defense, the first Boca Bowl of the night. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde, right? The first two weeks of the season, we felt really good about the run defense. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, backfires and, and two straight games, and then we feel like we're getting better. Maybe it's a home road thing at this point, Mike, because at home, it seems like our run defense is is solid, is able to uh, to make some plays, and on the road, we seem like we're absolutely lost. But you're right. I mean, Cincinnati ran through us. Uh, they got whatever they wanted, however they wanted. Uh, Ricky Barber did make a return. He only played four plays, Mike. Uh, Gus was was essentially asked about that during his Monday presser and said that you know he tried to give it a go, just wasn't able to do it. I actually saw one of the plays. I mean, it looks like he he tried to rush and he ended up just standing there and and I think just trying to fight through. But but he didn't have it. Obviously, we knew we were out. We were without Kalia Davis, so the 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 defensive line was going to be an issue. Linebackers, obviously, I, I think uh, you know we've we've seen some good and some bad out of Bethune and and JJB. Bethune had ten tackles. Uh, JJB with five, uh, Bryson Armstrong had eight, but it seems like Cincinnati just schemed it up perfectly. And it's funny if you listen to the the, the commentators. I know you were probably stuck listening to uh, Washus and, and Orlovsky. They essentially mentioned a few times that the Cincinnati offensive line wasn't wasn't really great, wasn't really their their best O line ever. They didn't do anything really well, but they didn't do anything really bad. They they were kind of calling them average, but they looked more than average to us to me, Mike, because they they got whatever they wanted. They manhandled the RD line. We had no answers for it. Obviously, we know our depth there is way down, and uh, and and Cincinnati just got whatever they wanted. Um, and that actually goes – I'll actually kind of tub, dovetail on yours. One of mine for, for Boca was the pressure on the quarterback. Um, Desmond Ritter had all day to throw the football. He didn't, he didn't choose to do that very often. To your point, he only threw, I think, 23 times. Uh, he, had, he had all day to throw the football when he needed to. The, that first, uh, that first uh, quarter, they were four for four on third downs. Um, you know, they, they just seemed to be able to, to get whatever play they wanted, run, run. They had plenty of time to block it up, and then that just forces our secondary, forces our linebackers to be in coverage longer. And at that point, you know what? It's it's hard to cover people for five, seven, ten seconds when you have all that time back there. So overall, our, our D-line, I get it's a mass unit at this point. I get we got some guys who are, who are playing a little, maybe a little earlier than we thought, but um, – we got to get someone to step up, Mike. Big, Big Cat did did not have himself a fantastic game. Another late penalty. Uh, there were a couple times he looked like he was out of position. Uh, our, our run defense, our D-line, went from the best we'd ever heard or seen to a huge liability for UCF. Yeah, obviously missing our two best interior linemen, Clea Davis and Ricky Barber for most of this game. That's going to hurt. But we got to get pressure from the outside. These guys have not done it all year now. And it's getting old. We had so much hype with the big cat coming into the season. 
he hasn't done anything. He's, he's got one sack on the year. The first couple of weeks, all you heard is, oh, he's getting close, he's getting close. Well, the last couple of weeks, he hasn't done anything except cause stupid penalties, jumping off sides. They're just back, backbreakers. And where is it? Traymon Morris brash, and he's got a DUI. Now he's coming in. He hasn't done anything of note in the game. He had the one play against Louisville with the interception. Since then, I haven't heard his name much at all. So these are the guys that were supposed to be coming in and dominating on the off, on the defensive line. Haven't done that against the Cincinnati team. Well, you're right. The, the offensive line is probably the weakest part of their offense. And we couldn't do anything with them either. So these guys got to get going. We got a whole second half of the season to go. They got to turn this thing around now. It's getting late early. So uh, we got to start seeing some more out of the, the, the defensive line. Seliscar has been the bright spot. Seliscar had another nice play this week. But other than that, I don't know what to do with these guys. <laughs> Yeah, I will say Keenan Hester, who's stepping in, uh, he, he seems like he's playing okay. Uh, I think he's, he's given it all. He had five tackles, uh, so I think he's, he's playing okay. I think he's trying to plug the gap. Uh, Cam Good, Mike played, uh, did not have a, a register or a single tackle. Uh, he did have two um, uh, pass breakups, oddly enough. I think he had two batted balls. Uh, but uh, we, we've got to figure out a way to get a little bit more push from that line. Again, I know we're depleted. I know the linebacker core is is getting kind of thin at this point, Mike. Uh, we, we Again, we only saw the three main linebackers kind of rotating in and out. Uh, secondary was all right, I guess. I mean, uh, they, they got tested a few times. Uh, I mean, I guess they played okay, but you also, what do you expect them to do when they got to cover guys for, for long periods of time? But again, we had no, I mean, Ritter had no, no concern about our pass rush. I mean, he, I felt like he had all day to get back there and survey. There wasn't even a threat to it. We had one sack of the game and that was a, a quadric Bullard uh, safety blitz. It looked like, and uh, it was actually a pretty big play. We had a couple of licks on him. Landon Woodson laid a pretty good lick on Ritter in the third quarter. Uh, so a nice little hit there, but we've got to find that, Whatever that mix is, Mike, and at this point, it, it, you know what? It, throw the stars out the window and throw the names out the window. Whoever the best four guys we're going to play and compete, those should be the guys who are getting touches and getting getting plays out there because, I mean, at this point, we, we've got to figure out something. And I know that we want to play the guys, the names, and the people that we know, but if, if, if we can't find the best four, whoever those best four are, those are the four that need to be out there on the line. Yeah, and that should always be the case. But um, maybe this is the best we got. And <laughs> that speaks volumes to where the defense has fallen in the last few years. And let's face it, the defense was no good last year either. This year, to open the season, Boise put up some points on us. Even Bethune moved the ball. We had no answer for Louisville. Navy went right down our throats. We had one good game, really. It was East Carolina last week. And now this debacle this week. So maybe it's just time to face facts. The defense is just not good. Hmm. <laughs> and it hasn't been good for a while now. How much of this, so, if any, do you put on T-Will? I mean, it's got to be some of it, yes. But also, these players. These players were on the team last year, and the defense sucked. So hmm. <laughs> that's got to be a big part of it, too. Uh, I'll give these guys, him and Malzahn, they've got a couple years to build this thing and get the players that they want in here to, for their system. And if they and the defense still looks like this in two years, then that's on the coaching and then that's their problem. Yeah. But um, right now, I, I, I got to say it's probably mostly personnel and the injuries. Yeah. I mean, losing Kalia Davis is a big loss. That guy was playing very well. He's the, the best player we had on defense, and now he's out. And he's out for the rest of the year. That hurts. So these are best offensive players, your best defensive players. That doesn't really go well in football. <laughs> that doesn't. That's a bad, that's let me write that. Bad down. recipe. Yeah. 
Well, what's funny is, is dumbasses like me went into the season and, and the line we felt good about. It. And one of the things I, I said uh, a few times leading into the season was this year we had a, a separate line coach for the, the defensive uh, tackle, so the interior, and a separate coach for the, the ends, sort of the, the exterior, the rushers. And we thought that was going to be a big win. We thought having guys who knew the position, guys who played it before, guys who you know could, could really coach those guys up was going to be a benefit. It turns out that that has not had an impact. And coaching is a really tough thing to evaluate. I think when things go well, coaches get too much credit. And sometimes when things go bad, coaches get too much blame. But at some point, we, we've got to figure out a way to, to get consistency. And if that's, you know, we're not practicing habits good enough if that's we're not putting the best guys out there if that's we're not you know we're not giving these guys enough and knowledge about what to what to expect um you know not making adjustments I, I don't know what it is Mike but you know the the defense itself and the line in particular has, has got to figure out a way and I get injuries I understand that people are listening probably yelling at their car and their in their offices don't forget the injuries I get all that but uh, the, we've got to figure out a way to at least coach these guys up a little bit yeah, and then we have no depth. Obviously, if the injuries are hurting us that bad, it's because the, the second-string guys are not that good. Yeah. And if, they, if we had some good depth on this team, you guys would be able to step in and you wouldn't miss a beat. That's just not the case. So uh, I'll move on to the next subject. But... Yeah, I think we, we both have the D-line and, and very, various aspects as a Boca uh, candidate for the week. So uh, so that's two for me. Uh, what's, your, what's another one for you? Yeah, well, let's move over to the special teams. Uh, another Pokemon. The teams, because they're not so special. Uh-huh. Uh, another punt block. Stop me if you heard this one before. First punt of the game, the guy gets a hand on it, sets them up in good field position, we're screwed. Um, the punt return game and the kick return game, what's going on here? We, we attempted two punt returns, and we got negative 10 yards. Amari Johnson goes back and... Gets lucky, catches one on his fingertips, running backwards, loses all that yards. Then on the very next punt return, muffs it for a fumble, doing the same thing, going back, trying to catch a punt that's over his head. This one was what, at like the 10-yard line? They yep. recovered that one? Yep. So, I mean, put yourself in a horrible position. At that point, just let it bounce in the end zone, dude. Let <laughs> it go. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you should have learned your lesson from the punt before when you almost did the same thing. The kick return game non-existent. We had one attempt for three yards on a kick return. What the heck is that? Johnny Richardson looks like he's unsure of himself. He doesn't know whether he should take it out, stay in half the time. He looks confused. And then the the, return, uh, the kick coverage, we gave up a 36-yard kick return. That's no bueno either. It seems like after taking one step forward last week when they were good, now we take two steps back this week. This is a part of the game that we had to win if we were going to go in there and pull an upset. This was going to be the spot where maybe we can make up some ground, you know, maybe get, get, win the field position battle, something like that, and keep us in this game. And it was just another big negative that helped Cincinnati win this one. Yeah, this is another one where I struggle because everyone's now calling for Brian Blackman's job. He's the uh, special teams coordinator and the tight end coach. And this is another another one where I struggle because do 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 either one of us really think that Brian Blackman said, "Hey, Amari, before you go out there, do me a favor, catch this one like Willie Mays and see what happens." Like that's that's obviously not what he told him to do. Uh, and for whatever reason, Amari ends up making that decision twice, uh, and and obviously costs us a penalty. Now we we were told after the Navy game, and Gus was very transparent on, on the uh, on the ESPN Plus our time broadcast right after the punt block, he he turned to his coaches and said, "That's on us. That's coaching." That's on us. 
He went to the podium and said, hey, we now we know what we did wrong. We're going to correct it. We got to get those mistakes corrected. And I, I don't I don't know specifically if it's the same thing. It was a different side of the line. I think that got the tip this time around. But it, here, here it is again, not corrected. And so clearly we're, we're still continuing to have issues with uh, with our special teams. And, and then you got to put, you know, Osteen in this position where I'm not trying to make excuses for him. But now I think it's kind of like a second baseman who, who has a bad throw to first. And now it's in your head. Now is he rushing his process? Is he catching and trying to kick as quick as he can? Is he not getting his follow through? You know, is he is he not able to angle kicks? You know, he I think he tried to rebound as best he could. He ended up having a fifty three yarder later on in the day. He had one that he he down put downed inside the twenty. But you, you got to think some of that stuff's probably in his head a little bit, and and that's a, just a recipe for disaster when you're a punter because the last thing you need to do is have that on your mind when the ball's coming your way. Next thing we know, Mike, he's going to have one slip through his hands. He's going to have one dropped because you're, you're too busy worrying and wondering if you're going to be under pressure. So, I, I, again, I, I, do I think that Brian Blackman said, hey, you know what? Hey, right side of the line, do me a favor. Let's make this interesting. See if you don't block that guy Wiley around the edge. I don't think that's what happened. But clearly – Something's not right either. We don't have the right personnel. We're not practicing some of that stuff enough, or we're just not able to understand on on film. Hey, this is what they like to do on punt block. Here's how we want to combat that. I don't know which of those things are true, Mike. All of them obviously are concerns, and all of them are, are things that we've got to get fixed because uh, clearly we we cannot keep giving away points and in, in yardage and field position on special teams. That's just not going to work for us. No, they already killed us at Navy. It hurt us here. I don't think it was the difference in the game. Obviously, so many other things went wrong. But it starts the game off on the wrong foot, just giving them the ball on such a short field to start the game. At least if you, you pin them back, maybe you make them earn it, maybe something happens. They have to go on a 10-play drive to move the ball. Maybe they fumble. Maybe you get a, a tip pass somewhere and a, a penalty or something, that, and their drive stalls out. Maybe it's a different start to this game. But to set them up like that right away with a killer um, cannot happen absolutely cannot happen we've talked about it so many times on this show special teams under the O'Leary era was a big plus but the return game the coverage we, we were always winning the special teams battle we had great returners that has not been the case now since Mike Hughes left um, I, I don't know what to do with it obviously we, we blame Nick Toth the last couple of years now we got Blackman as the black sheep of, of the team <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's got to get fixed it's got to get fixed quickly because that is a big part of this game, and special teams play such a big part. Everybody ignores everybody, thinks the punt, yeah, they, they take it for granted. But that can change a game, and we've seen it already in, at Navy, and we saw it here again this week. Uh, it's got to get fixed right away. And to have it happen now twice, that's uh, is that a coincidence? And after, what, three times it's happenstance? It's just the way it is. But we just are not good at special teams, and it's got to get corrected now. Yeah, I just I, – I don't know. I, I've, I've never been a special teams coordinator, spoiler alert. But I got to think that if you're watching film on a team, I, I feel like the teams have that many different variations of how they they want to go after a kick. Now, I guess in theory you might say, hey, this week we're going to try to rush from the right or the left or whatever. But I got to feel like some of that stuff is, is pretty uh, pretty standard across the board and, and teams are, are pretty consistent with what they do. So I don't know if we just don't watch tape. I don't know if it's just we don't have the athletes out there to, to block. I believe it was their tight end. I think his name is Josh Wiley, who's a, uh, who, who got the finger or the hand on the, on the first uh, pump block. He's a pretty big dude. He thinks like 6'3". So do we just not have the size or the speed out there? Do you just kind of reach over a guy? Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what, what the situation is there, but that, that, that thing's got to get fixed, Mike. And I feel like I'm the only one who noticed something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal it 
and UCF observations coming up soon. Uh, I'm, I feel like no one else noticed something I saw on special teams, something that absolutely blew my mind, that I had to go back and watch the tape. And then when I saw the participation report, uh, it confirmed what I what I knew I saw. So I'm going to blow your minds with something that I saw on special teams. So that's coming up in UCF observations, Mike. But we've got to figure out a way to fix it. So Barsky even he, he threw in an out-of-bounds kick just for good measure at the end there. Uh, it, it was just the special teams across the board, Mike. Again, do we have the right guys uh, playing special teams? Are these guys getting reps? Uh, I think, you know, Gus has got to go back and look at all this stuff because uh, I think he said the presser that he hasn't had a punt blocked ever in his career. Um, and now he's got two in, in three weeks. So that certainly doesn't bode well for uh, for the special teams uh, unit. We got to start practicing the rugby kicks. Uh, just start having Osteen run out to the side and just boot it. Uh, that, it might come down to that with yeah. the way this line is blocking for him. So. Anyway. I don't know, man. Yeah. Want to move on? Let's move it on. <laughs> uh, so the, the the other thing I saw that would just well, it, it's hard to to track this, and I try to track it in the moment, but then I got frustrated. Well, it just felt like we were not um, really sharp in tackling. So I'm gonna go tackling as my other bokeh category. There was a there was one time in particular, Desmond Ritter absolutely just juked Big Cat Bryant uh, out of his out of his shoes and got a first down. There's a few times I feel like we had uh, you know Johnny. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Jerome Ford was running open in the middle and guys were just hitting at his ankles. It felt like we just did not want any part of tackling. It felt like we were not in right positions. And uh, Ritter with the ball, now granted he's a good quarterback and he's obviously a run threat, so you're, you're looking out for that. But uh, it just felt like we just were not aggressive uh, going to the ball tackling. And that's something T. Will preached a ton is that these guys were going to, you know, they're going to tackle, they're going to fly to the ball, we're going to be all over the place. Uh, it just it just felt like that that didn't that didn't take place, Mike. And and you know you, you think about the linebackers. Uh, JGB had five tackles. Bethune had ten. Devad had eight. Bryson Armstrong had eight. Uh, it just felt like we we whiffed on some easy tackles. We give up some additional easy yards, um, and it's hard to quantify that stat. But I just I just felt like we had opportunities at times to maybe get Cincinnati in a, in a shorter spot, and we end up giving up three, four, five extra yards. And and I know we picked on the D line earlier, but I think this is a defense across the board issue uh, where we're just not able to to bring guys down. We're not in right positions. We've seen this a few times throughout the year, but uh, the way that Ford sliced us up, and I know there are sometimes we had hand on uh, hands on the guy and we just couldn't figure it out uh, we've got to get more sound when when we're able to get our, our hands on on a player we've got to figure out a way to bring him to the ground yeah i noticed a few times and i think it was devod wilson a couple of times just trying to punch the ball out or strip the ball out instead mm-hmm. of just making a tackle yeah and then you do that you don't have a grip on the guy and the guy gets another three four yards out of it just form tapping and what happens is just putting your head in there and get and knocking the guy down that's what wrap him up you know, we're not doing that. So it's frustrating. That's one of the most frustrating things to see a guy just break a tackle and go another four or five yards and get a first down, convert a long third down. It, it's a killer. Yeah. And our, our tackling has sucked. And I know Trace has called it out for the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, the tackling hasn't been good. It really stood out this week. Yeah, just seeing guys diving at ankles and trying to trip guys' shoes on the way past and stuff. And to your point, getting arms out, you know, going going for – going for strips and I guess at some point in the game right we're down a lot you, you maybe gamble that a little bit I mean maybe that's fine I don't really know but you know T will told us that we were going to be a team that was going to fly to the football 11 hats all going towards the ball all making plays and I, I feel like we, we definitely didn't see that as much in the Cincinnati game I feel like that's been kind of waning as the season's gone on 
but uh and 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 sometimes we just were not in positions like i mean i you know you, you knew you knew what ritter's gonna ritter's gonna do when you get on the edge uh you kind of know the discipline you have to have and yet we still got are kind of juked out of a few different plays so i guess i would have liked to have seen as a little bit more consistent um from that standpoint um so tackling is going to get a a, a bulk and nod for me i think we've picked on the defense uh enough uh and and i don't know if there's much else we can talk about the defense but you've got one category option left i'm, I'm curious where you're going with it I'm actually gonna find something okay. All I'm right. giving out a liberty. All right, Mr. Ryan O'Keefe. Okay, the highest-rated player on our team according to Pro Football Focus with a 75.9 grade. He had the one nice run, 51 yards. He did get caught from behind on that one. Interesting. Yep. I think maybe he was trying to uh, evade a different guy, and some other guy caught him from behind. Seven catches, 60 yards, including a 33-yarder on a day where the offense really didn't do much. He at least put up over 100 yards of offense himself, um, showed some life, some little spark here and there. Uh, I tried to find something decent to talk about, and O'Keefe was probably the one guy on offense that did anything. Yeah. Yeah, he played well. I mean, I think he's been the, probably the most consistent offensive guy. I mean, he's also been out there for the most games. But and you can tell Gus and that staff are trying to find a way to get him the ball. I think they recognize he's a playmaker. Uh, we saw a bunch of, of those routes he, he likes to run against ECU. We saw him trying to get the ball in his hands. Uh, and it, what's, what sucks is we saw, you know, him and Dylan had a good connection early on. Uh, he was kind of Dylan's uh, receiver. We saw the big touchdown he had against Louisville in the very first uh, play of the game. We haven't seen a lot of that of late. It seems like now a lot of the, the throws are, are, are short in, in space, trying to get him to kind of catch a crease and, and get lighting in the bottle. Uh, but we also know he could, he could catch the deep ball if we need him to. Um, he's turning into a really nice receiver, Mike. I know uh, uh, speed guys, sometimes it takes a while for them to sort of get their hands uh, together, but uh, he's really kind of blossomed into probably our most consistent offensive weapon so far. And that's obviously, you know, somewhat of an asterisk because some guys have been out with injuries. Yeah. He stepped up since uh, Jalen Robinson went down. He, he should be our deep threat. Obviously we haven't taken many chances down the field. He could be that guy. He could be the guy from, They'll get you on a screen. He can take it on a run. He's shown different ways that he can hurt you. And he's been, I guess, one of these bright spots on offense in a season so far where we haven't put up as many points as we're used to. What's interesting too, I'm, I'm actually following along. So Gus is uh, Gus Melzon. We record this on Mondays. He's doing his weekly uh, radio show on Mondays, uh, and so um, a couple of quotes, a couple of things are getting kind of uh, shared. Mike, here's something interesting uh, on uh, on special teams. Uh, he uh, Gus talked about protecting the uh, protecting the punter is paramount, saying that sometimes the punter has to go quicker too. Uh, but they might see some new guys in the return game. So uh, I think uh, just as you and I were talking about Amari Johnson potentially maybe making some some tough decisions, uh, Gus seems to be acknowledging that uh, potentially um, uh, he'll think about some new guys. Ryan O'Keefe is mentioned. Not sure if that's where he's going to go, Mike, but maybe Gus has already taken that to heart. Maybe we uh, we see some guys sw- swapping spots. Yeah, Amari Johnson did not do himself any favors this week with those couple punt returns. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody else back there to see what we can do. It's interesting. He's also got a quote here, it sounds like, where he's basically saying, hey, if, if Dylan and Flash were, were healthy uh, and, and, and we would be doing what we did the first three games, that's who we are, that's what we're going to look like. Now we're doing the best for what we have, uh, that they want to do more tempo, but uh, essentially they, they're sort of now using who they have and trying to get the most out of them. Like, I don't know how to take that comment. Does that essentially mean that 
you know, with Mikey Keene, he's really trying to dumb the playbook down that maybe, you know, he knows Mikey's not ready for stuff. I'm not sure how, how to, how to take that, but it sounds like, you know, he's essentially saying, Hey, this is the best I can do with what I got, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're missing our best quarterback, our best receiver. We were missing our best running back for the last couple games and he wasn't really at a hundred percent this game. So we're playing with our second string offense basically for the last month. Uh, it's as good as it's going to get right now. And we've got guys learning on the job and guys that you didn't expect we're going to have to play this year are getting a lot of playing time. And it is what it is. And we're just going to have to hope the other guys recover and get back on the field as soon as possible. Well, again, it sounds like if we're going to do the positive stuff. So one of the things I wrote down I want us to do was try to think of something nice to say <laughs> because I knew we were going to go um, pretty negative. I think you, you had a nice thing about Ryan O'Keefe. That, that, was, that was cool. Um, for me, I actually was really impressed with Brandon Adams. He is a true freshman playing corner. I think he got the start. I think it was his first ever start against ECU. I know he played a little bit. Uh, he, he played really well, Mike. He had a couple of nice PBUs against Cincinnati. Uh, for a true freshman, he was called out a few times by the uh, by, by the, the announcing crew uh, for some of the plays he made, Mike. And I know it's, it's tough to hype a guy up after two games, uh, but Brandon Adams seems like he's actually a really solid player for a true freshman, number 31. Uh, he, may, he might have a bright future. He might actually be our best uh, defensive secondary player now. But uh, he, uh, he definitely played pretty well against Cincinnati for two weeks in a row now. Well, that says a lot. If he's our best guy in the secondary, <laughs> as a true well, freshman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's looked pretty good. He's, he's not bad, so hopefully he continues to grow, doesn't have any setbacks here, stays healthy, and can learn as the season goes along. Well, that's my, that's my say something positive. Do you have anything else positive? I know you mentioned Ryan O'Keefe. Do you have anything else positive? I like the Peter Pants. Okay. Whoa. This is, I don't have my sounders ready. This is breaking news because you are not, <laughs> and I repeat, not the type of guy to, to take well to any uh, uniform stuff. I know you've uh, fr- previously railed against us looking too much like the Las Vegas Raiders, so you've come around on that? Uh, I've kind of enjoyed the pewter. I don't, I don't have that big of a problem with the silver or the pewter or whatever it is. That's fine. I, I'm more, don't give me too much Canaveral blue. I prefer just black and gold, yeah. But uh, the, the pewter pants look nice because on the jerseys you got like the pewter Pegasus on the sleeves or whatever. I thought it looked all right. Okay. And, and <laughs> I'm trying to find something nice to say about this game. <laughs> Obviously nothing about the way we played, so mm-hmm. we looked okay. At okay. least we looked decent while we got our asses kicked. Right. Uh, you want one stat that we won that everybody said we needed to win in order to win this game, and we did? Time of possession? Time of possession. There we go. <laughs> we, won. <laughs> we won that. <laughs> didn't help us yeah let, let's get to total yards <laughs> and what we did with that time <laughs> of possession because that's probably another telling stat for sure yeah so that's about all the nice things i have to say from this game and now you just put it behind you and hope that we can uh, salvage the rest of the season well that's uh that's a bow on fifty six twenty one. mike this gus said this will be a game uh in a few years that everyone looks back on and says, remember that one, that was the turning point. Uh, again, he's, he's got those one-liners in the post-game pressers. Uh, this is his newest one. This will be the game everyone kind of points back to and says, hey, remember that one. That's where this uh, thing all turned. Let's, uh, let's hope that's true. You and I, will, let's, well, we're going to do a little preview, or a little review in a preview, I guess, in a little bit on where we are now at the midpoint of the season, Mike. But let's quickly, we'll get to UCF observations in a sec. Let's talk quickly, though, about one of our newest sponsors and a sponsor, Mike, that I know is near and dear to you, dear heart. That is Paper and Lace Boutique. 
they are really a one-stop shop for all things you need for that special day in your life Mike wedding invitations notebooks all that good jazz Uh, your sister Michelle does a fantastic job with uh, with their business why don't you tell people more about uh, paper and lace how they can find them and what kind of deals we have that's right we just actually had our first referral over there our friend Raphael actually sent me a a picture of him and his uh, fiance at Michelle's office looking through the invitations Um, I don't know if they actually settled on anything yet but they were there and we got people coming in now from Sons of UCF you get 10% off your first order give her a call 954-597-6426 doesn't matter if you live down here in Fort Lauderdale or not. She can help you. She's worldwide. I told you guys that before. And she'll deliver anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. I told you her first ever order was somebody in Australia. Uh, so don't be scared of where she lives. Check out her website, paperandlace.com. I'm sorry, paperandlaceboutique.com. You'll see all the things she can do. And she can cater everything to the way you want it. So you get an idea. You tell her, hey, I kind of like the way this looks. Can we do it this way? And course she can do it for you invitations save the dates vow books the menus the place cards everything the thank you cards when you're done with the wedding if you just got engaged and you're looking to get married you're about to set a date here you're gonna have to send out those save date cards give her a call she'll hook you up 954-597-6426 paperandlaceboutique.com Guys, if you're smart, get those colors in black and gold. Your fiance might not notice. You might think that's a really classy idea. Uh, so maybe get that black and gold uh, when you hit up paperandlace.com. Like, uh, but anyway, uh, so make sure you do that. And let's uh, let's go quickly. We'll do some UCF observations. I want to get the Cincinnati thing behind me as quickly as we can, Mike. So let's do some UCF observations again. Mike and I watch these games. We have a lot of notes, a lot of thoughts, a lot of things on our mind that we want to share with people. So this is a one-stop shop for all those things that we have, Mike. UCF observations. What did you observe? Cincinnati is pretty good. Okay. They're pretty good. All right. All right, Mike. Well, listen, after six years, 2,190 days, three head coaches, five different starting quarterbacks, two New Year's Six Bowls, and a 9-7 and record in the past two seasons, Mike, the George O'Leary offense is back. <laughs> <laughs> we joked about it in the East Carolina game, and it was back here again this week. It's back. The George O'Leary defense was not along with it to keep it the game. Um, UCF is not that good. <laughs> <laughs> not not the way it's constituted right now. Um, that combination, Cincinnati being good, us not good, led for a uh, blowout Saturday. Mike, Cincinnati's backup quarterback scored on a touchdown run, uh, which was really a sobering moment because now we are that team where second-string quarterbacks score on as late in the game. We used to be the team whose second-string quarterbacks scored. Now they're scoring on us. Not good. You know what the best part of watching a game on delay like I was doing? Yes, you get to fast-forward the commercials. You get to also fast-forward most of the second half. <laughs> when the game was going the way it was, I couldn't get this game over with fast enough. Okay. Josh Salascar, Depoy, collision course. He's been our best defensive player now that Kalia Davis is out. The guy does get up. He's got a nose for the ball. Anytime there's a fumble or he's forcing the fumble, he, he's right around the action all the time. I will say Tatum Bethune might want a word. 
You can you can throw your Bryson Armstrong at me. It feels like he's a compiler though, Mike. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Selascar, but Bethune, you might have a you might have an argument with Bethune. I'm willing to hear that one out. Misery loves company, and it was good to see the cows blow one there at the end. And the Gators with another tough loss. That kind of softened the blow a little bit on Saturday afternoon. Mike, I really want to trash Desmond Ritter. Uh but uh, look, the reality is uh, he went 13 to 23, 140 yards and one touchdown. And, uh, and and people are saying he's the Heisman. Well, I don't know if that's Heisman worthy, Mike. I feel like he probably could have gotten those stats with his left hand as well. <laughs> he didn't have to do much in this game, and uh, they were in complete control. You know what Cincinnati gave us this week? That was an ass kicking. Yeah, a thorough, a thorough ass kicking. <laughs> which <laughs> leads me. To the top five oh, wow. most thorough ass kickings we've taken. And now this is just in my time of watching UCF. So I don't go back to the uh, Georgia Southern days of them whooping our ass in the 80s and early 90s. Okay. This goes from when well, we stepped on campus in 98 mm-hmm. till now. Mm-hmm. Not the worst losses, not bad losses like the one to Navy or to, uh, you know, or anything like that. Those are just bad losses. I'm talking about most thorough ass kickings we've taken. You ready? I'm ready. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> Number five. Yeah. The Boca Bowl. Oh, yeah. 29-23. We were down 21 nothing in the first quarter. Yeah. Zach Wilson jacked up his draft stock that night. 425 yards, three touchdowns. That was 49-10 to 10 that game before we scored two garbage touchdowns at the end. That was a bad, bad night in Boca. We should have seen this one. I mean, yeah, because now, I mean, look where we are. I mean, we all thought that was just a, a thing, opt-outs, injuries, and uh, and obviously we've had a bunch of coaching staff to this point, Mike, but uh, that was a bad one because we were out of it early. It felt like we were going to maybe make a move, and we didn't, never end up making that move, and we were just sitting in the stands in Boca, and you were yelling at all the players, and it kind of got ugly in a hurry there. So I will, uh, I will give you that number five. We went into that game. I went into that game anyway, expecting to win that game. I know. I thought we had a very good chance. We we weren't. Uh, yeah, we were missing guys. Some guys sat out, but we had Dylan Gabriel was there. We had a couple of big targets. You know, Jacob Harris guys were playing in that game. Yeah. And we just laid an egg. Yeah. I remember when you and Brandon Moore made for uh, made nice too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, number four. Believe it or not, this past week against Cincinnati was not even the worst. 2015 at Cincinnati. 52 to 7. I don't even remember this game much because I kind of blocked out the end of that 2015 season. Sure. This game was 52 to nothing before legendary CJ Jones scored the <laughs> only touchdown of his UCF career. I don't even remember who CJ Jones was. Do you? Get him on the show. Let's get him on the show. I wrote that down. <laughs> CJ Jones coming up soon. Before Donald Delahaye knocked through the extra point to make it 52 7. Wow. Gunner Keel. You want to hear this kid's numbers against us that day? Sure. 15 for 15. (laughs) 319 yards, five touchdowns, with a QB rating of 388.6. I didn't know QB ratings went that high. Gunner Keel paid for like five (laughs) colleges, too. That's awkward. 15 for 15. Yeah. We couldn't stop the guy. 52 to 7. That, my friends, is a thorough ass kick. You're right. You're right there. I can't. What are the top three? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. They're bad, too. Number three, 2006 
against the University of Florida. We lose 42 to nothing. We gave up 27 points in the second quarter of this game. Total yards, Florida, 637 total yards, 637 to our 153. And we didn't even turn the ball over in this game. No turnovers from us. They still beat us by seven touchdowns. That was a championship team, Chris League, Tim Tebow, 2006. They went on to win it all. They shut down 24K, Kevin Smith, to only 22 yards in this game. Thorough ass-kicking number three. Yeah, wow. Number two, 2007 versus the Cows. Yeah, I know a lot of you thought this was going to be the number one. It's not. 64-12. You know why it's not? Because this game was 19-10 to halfway through the second quarter. I still thought we had a shot. You know, and we give up 10 points at the end of the half. It's 29-10 at the half. Uh, and then just get outscored 35-2 to in the second half. Three different quarterbacks throwing touchdowns. They ran up the score late in this game. 64-12. They could have called off the dogs at, whatever, 45-12, to whatever it was. They threw two touchdowns in the last five minutes of this game, which is why we all know we have to get revenge for this eventually, hopefully this year. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen yeah. this year. <laughs> but <laughs> sometime soon, before we're done playing these guys, we got to get them back. The number two most thorough ass kicking, 64-12 against the Cows. Mm-hmm. you have any guess to number one? Most thorough ass kicking, man. Of course. From, from opening kick all the way through the end, Pillar to post, snap to whistle, <laughs> sideline to huddle. 2006 again, the Pittsburgh Panthers uh, at home. Yeah. In our home. Uh-huh. These other games were on the road. Yelling this one's okay. in the Searchers Bowl, 52 to 7. The opening kick went for a touchdown. Yeah. They were up 38 nothing at the half. Mm-hmm. It was 21 nothing with six minutes to go in the first quarter. That's 21 points in the first nine minutes of this game. Before we could even finish our first beer and, and sit down in our seats at the Citrus Bowl, this thing was done. It was 45 nothing when 24K gets the only score of the game at the end of the third. This, remember, was a game. It was a Friday night game. I think it was ESPN. It had to be at least ESPN or ESPN2. And this was the game. UCF came back with the black jerseys. It was the first time O'Leary allowed us to wear black jerseys in a long time. We had Joe Burnett on, on the show. He told us the story of this game. We came out and got exposed on national TV, 52-7. to They completely dominated us from the very beginning of that game. Good players on that team, like Darrell Revis was on that team. Good good Pittsburgh team, but oh, my God. I still remember that beating, uh, what has it been, 15 years ago now this game happened. Wow. We've taken some thorough ass kickings. This past weekend is not even in the top five. <laughs> That's how bad right. it's been. Okay. In the last twenty years. Yeah. I got I got some other runner ups here, but I don't even want to get into them. Yeah, I mean, thanks for de- thanks for depressing us uh on the top five ass kickings. All right, well, at least we feel better <laughs> about this one. Uh, Mike, here's a, here's a news that broke on Monday. Looks like the American Conference is looking to add some new schools: FAU, UAB, Charlotte, Rice, North Texas, and UTSA, Texas San Antonio all potentially going to bid uh, to get into the American Conference. Mike, the bad news is UCF would probably still finish in the bottom half of the conference this year if they were, in the, if they were there right now. <laughs> UTSA beat Memphis. See, I'm, right I'm right telling now. you, yes. Like... <laughs> this is a toss-up game this week we have with Memphis. Yeah. Who the heck knows? Yeah, bottom half. I'm not comfortable coming down to 
<laughs> Boca and beating that. Watch out for that North Texas team, the Mean Green, Mike. I think it's the Mean Green. Yeah, North Texas Mean Green. Um, you know, at least with all these losses so far this year, nobody's going to be trying to hire Gus Malzahn away from us. That's true. Year, yeah. Right? So at least we'll get some continuity. Gus will be back next year. And that's what we need. We need him to stay here for a while, build this thing up. He talks about it. The recruiting seems like it's going in the right direction this year. So hopefully we get a few years here out of Gus. All right, here's that special teams nugget I promised you earlier in the show, Mike. I'm watching the game, half paying attention, and I'm watching a kickoff. It was late in the third quarter maybe, uh, and I'm watching a kickoff, and I see something on my TV, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. So I, I have to pause the thing, and I have to do the little rewind. I wasn't missing anything anyway, Mike. Do you want to guess who was on our kick coverage team? Who was uh, essentially on uh, – uh, so we were kicking off to Cincinnati. Who was on our kick coverage team? You want to take any guess, Mike? I'm scared. And I look, I thought I saw it wrong because there's another guy who wears the same number, but this guy had on long sleeves in the game and this guy did not. And then uh, UCF puts out the stats and has the participation report. And this guy's name was listed. And I was like, how's that possible? Mike, on kickoff coverage for UCF, and maybe it was injury, maybe it was just a blowout, Parker Navarro. <laughs> wow. I promise you, Parker, rewind the game at some point. Parker Navarro was on kickoff coverage. He's on the participation report. He did not take a snap from center. We all know that. Uh, and uh, I, at first I thought maybe it was Corey Thornton because they were both were 14. Corey Thornton had long sleeves on in the game. There was definitely a number 14 in a white jersey on the right side of the line running down on kickoff coverage. I don't know if he's on every kickoff coverage. I didn't go back and do all the play research on that. But that's where we are, Mike, on special teams. Parker Navarro, kickoff coverage. Oof. You think maybe Corey Thornton had to go to the bathroom? And he said, "Hey, Navarro, step in for me. You got the same number. Nobody's gonna notice." That's possible. Somebody had to go someplace. He doesn't. He did not record a tackle. He's not listed as a tackler or assist, but uh, he is on the petition report from UCF. So he was definitely on the field. Uh, so if you guys uh, fact check me, go back and watch that. Rewind that thing. I swear to you, Parker Navarro on the special teams. Maybe that's common. Maybe we're doing a Taysom Hill situation. I don't know, but uh, Parker Navarro, uh, special teams ace. Was this the kick return that returned 36 yards? I don't even know. Probably not, no. <laughs> but you, you never know. Um, well, Navarro seems to be a good athlete, at least. He was running the scout team when we uh, need to go up against a running quarterback. Maybe he's got some speed, at least to get down there. And, I don't know. Maybe he can make a tackle. Who knows? We, I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out. <laughs> Anybody that can tackle. I think um, – Obarski had a tackle. He did. Obarski had one tackle, yes. So there you go. Uh, where are we? Here we go. You know, I didn't even have time to get drunk during this game. Mm. 21 nothing. I'm still on my first beer. I know I'm fast forwarding through commercials. But I, by that time, I said the game's over. I only had two beers throughout the whole game. I didn't get that mad. Whatever. Wow. I was done. Wow. The game was over. Uh, I didn't take it as hard as I should have. Okay. Or maybe as much as anybody else, I guess. Okay. Uh, Mike, I touched on this earlier. Good news. Mark Anthony Richards come, uh, comes off the sort of the performance of his life. Uh, that, that last drive against ECU punches it in for a touchdown. Game-winning touchdown. UCF wins the game. He's riding high. He's got to be feeling good about it. And he follows it up by getting one carry for two yards on the final drive of the game. I still don't it understand. It was a touchdown. I don't understand the substitution patterns here. I know Bowser is back. I don't know what we're doing there, but Mark Anthony Richards, uh, one carry, two yards, and a tutty. 
All he does is score touchdowns. I guess so. But let's just do it more not down, 56-14. <laughs> you know what 3-3 three and three gets you? Nothing. <laughs> A noon kickoff on ESPN Plus versus Temple. Mm. That's where we are in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, get used to it, folks. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, Mike, do you know what ABC stands for? Uh, ass beating Cincinnati. Uh, maybe. I don't know. How about another bleeping commercial? There are so many commercials in that game. Let's just get this thing over with at some point. I mean, running clock, whatever we got to do. It felt like it was commercial, commercial, commercial. Desmond Ritter, infomercial, commercial. More Desmond Ritter. He had a kid. Congratulations. More commercial. It was just all day long. This thing was just nauseating. Just so many commercials. Oh, that's why I'm so happy I <laughs> watched this game live. I was about an hour behind. I skipped all commercials, all halftime. Yeah. I was halfway through the third quarter when I knew this thing was over. I started skipping through plays mm-hmm. just to get this thing over with. And yeah. then, boom, I, I watched the whole game in about two hours. Boom. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, you, you missed about another hour of commercials because that thing was a three-hour game. So you missed about an hour of commercials and 30 minutes that Desmond Ritter had a kid. Yeah. We're 3-0 at home, 0-3 on the road. At least, you know, we have seven home games this year and only five on the road. That's shaping up good, right? We're gonna have a winning record. It's possible. Let's yeah, we'll get into that in a second. It's possible. Uh, we we've got we've we've got some games in front of us. Uh, we're I don't know what to expect anymore, but in theory, you'd think you have opportunity. Who knows, Mike? We saw Jordan Johnson, the uh, the four or five star transfer from Notre Dame, finally get on the field. He ran a route. Uh, Parker uh, 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 riled back and threw him the ball. And now we know all you transferred. Went right off his hands and out of bounds. Jordan Johnson, welcome to UCF. Uh, I can't wait to see Bearcat Nation's reaction when they get sent to the Fiesta Bowl against Coastal Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> the playoff committee is going to jump Ohio State over them and Oklahoma. And then when and uh, when Bama beats Georgia in the, in the SEC championship game, they're both getting in. Uh, it's not clear that they're getting into the playoff, even if they go undefeated. You're telling me Ohio State beat Penn State, Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa in a championship game? They're not going to jump over <laughs> Cincinnati? Um, good luck. I yeah, think. I think they got a long road. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be uh, – again, I, I know people want to see Cincinnati in there. It's a fun thing. It's a rivalry. We're going together. I just can't do it. But I, I think they got a long road ahead. If Alabama does not lose another game – they're going to try to find a way to get Alabama in the playoff. That's just for damn sure, right? And so that means that if, if they lose, if they win another game, they probably beat Georgia. So if a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Alabama, they're both going. I don't care what anybody says. So that's two right there. If Oklahoma fi- finds a way to go undefeated, uh, which their schedule is not that hard in front of them, although they usually trip up, they're going to get themselves in there. And then whoever's left out of the Big, uh, the Big Ten fiasco with Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State and Penn State, uh, again, even if it's a one-loss team, uh, Cincinnati's strength of schedule I saw on the broadcast was 93. Uh, so while they certainly are a good team, I think as the season pro- progresses, the only thing they have in their favor is that they're they're going to probably start off pretty high. They may start off in that three, four, five position. So they're going to be in the mix, and the committee may have to do one of those things where they bump them down. Uh, so it'll be curious to see where they start off at because they start off at six. Then you know where the committee thinks of them, right? Because they, they want them no part of that. But I think they're going to have a tough road ahead. That's just my opinion. Yeah, but championship weekend is going to come around. You're going to have Ohio State against uh, what a, a one-loss Penn State or whatever. Michigan versus Penn State or Iowa in the championship game. They each have one loss. They're going to have much better strength and schedule. 
Cincinnati's going to be playing like a two-loss SFU, maybe. Maybe a Houston that doesn't look that great. That's not going to do them any favors. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are both undefeated, I believe, right now. They play the last game of the regular season. Can they play again in the championship game? I think the Big 12 just picks the two best teams. They do. Yeah, they don't have conference. So it's possible that Oklahoma gets two wins over a top-ranked Oklahoma State. Maybe they – and they still played Baylor, who's ranked number 20. That's, that'll be a good win for them, too. So uh, it's not a given, even if they're ranked number one in the AP poll. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything. Yeah. The college football playoff committee will just come in and say, no soup for you. Uh, and then <laughs> they get stuck playing Coastal Carolina. That's going to be funny. That's I, I know – a lot of people are saying, yeah, we're rooting for Cincinnati to go all the way. It's the right thing to say. I kind of rooting for them to go undefeated, get left out of the playoff, and then claim a national championship just like we had to do. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> they can't say anything about us anymore. <laughs> I, think, I think that'll be funny. That's fair. Okay. I'll take that. Uh, so my guys, depressing news this week in fantasy football, my, uh, I, I'm in a league. It's a 12 team league. There's like six, there's like 13 spots, 14 spots on your team. So this is a be, it's a deep bench league and you can start two quarterbacks in this league. Uh, and so I'm in a position. One of my quarterbacks was Russell Wilson. He, uh, he has a broken finger. So this week, Mike, I was forced to start Geno Smith. Yeah, one of my quarterback spots. I am still in it. I need Tyler Bass, who's playing right now, uh, to kick a bunch of field goals. He's got two already as we're talking, so I still got an outside shot, Mike. But I had to start Geno Smith at quarterback. I didn't know Geno was in the league, so that brings me to my top five quarterbacks you might not know are still playing in the NFL right now, Mike. Here's my top five guys you might not know are still playing. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Number five, Chase Daniel. He's the backup quarterback for... The L.A. Chargers now. He's played everywhere. He's been everyone's backup quarterback. He's made more money of being a backup quarterback than anybody I know. Uh, but he's still on the roster. He's Justin Herbert's backup in uh, in L.A. for the Chargers. So he's my number five quarterback you did not know was still in the league. Mike, number four, Blaine Gabbert. I don't know if you knew this. He's the backup to Tom really? Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady's backup. Wow. Blaine Gabbert, yeah. Still hanging in there, mate. We had get, his brother. Getting a like paint We did. We did have his brother, Mike. It was, that's, a, that's a good call. Number three. Joe Flacco, still in the league, Mike. Uh, he's uh, he's the backup for Philadelphia. He's Jalen Hurts' backup, which makes you now know why they Jalen Jail, they Hurts starts. Uh, Joe Flacco, uh, after Baltimore and Denver, I think he's with the Jets, now uh, now with the Eagles. Joe Flacco, still in the league. Super Number Bowl three. champion. Super full champion, Joe Flacco. Who knew he was in the league? Number two, Geno Smith. He hadn't started a game since your Giants, I think. He was the one who replaced Eli Manning. And broke Eli Manning's consecutive start streak thanks to I think that was McAdoo's call, right? Uh, so Gino yeah. hadn't had a start in a game in five years up until last night. So Gino Smith, my number two quarterback, you did not know was still in the league, Mike. And my number one oh. quarterback, you did not know, was still in the league. Colt McCoy, he's the backup for the Cardinals. Wow. Colt McCoy, a first ever game at Bright House Network Stadium, yeah. Texas. Yeah, he's played for the Washington football team. I think he was part of your Giants for a while. Uh, he's He's been around. He is now the backup to Kyler Murray. Five quarterbacks. I didn't know were still in the league, Mike, and apparently they are. That's my top five. Yeah. I'm getting to, so old, and I haven't played fantasy football now in, I don't know, 10 years. I can't name half the starting quarterbacks in the league. Never yeah, mind the backup. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> All of those are surprises to me. Except Geno Smith, I, that was a surprise to me last week when I first heard it, yeah. when he had to come into the game. That one I actually knew. But the other ones, uh, I had no clue. Just missed my list. Chad Henney is the backup for the Chiefs. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm all out of observations. So I got one more then for five. you. I got one more. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but our good friend Robert uh, on Twitter, he's organizing a meetup uh, this Saturday after the Memphis game, and they're going to go to our good buddy Drew Bellani's new spot in Orlando called Poor Choice, where you can get, I think it's 50 um, sort of self-serve draft beers on on, uh, on tap there, and uh, he's, he's organizing a meetup down there. Drew is kind enough to, to hook him up, so they're going to meet up. So if you're in the area, check out either Robert or Drew's Twitter for some more details, Mike. But... This begs the question, if Drew was ever kind enough to name a beer after us, the Sons of UCF, what would that beer be called? What do you think? Wouldn't it just be the Sons beer? Is, I mean, do, is, we, gonna, do we get creative? Is, are we just doing that? Are we doing a lot, of hall of, actually, a lot of Hall of Fame lager? I mean, what are we, we, we got options here. You know what I mean? Cow of the Week, Stout. I mean, we, we got options. Have you talked to Drew? Is this a possibility? Should we really be thinking about these? I have not. I don't think they brew their own beer, so that may be the difference. I think they they obviously just have uh, some some kegs and some taps from other breweries. So I don't know if they're going to be into the to, to the brewing side, but if if it's always a possibility, you never know, Mike. We should start thinking about mm-hmm. that. Somebody tell us what our what our beer should be called. Yeah, <laughs> we're open to suggestions. How about obviously. Angry Angry Eyes Ale? I mean, last week we learned you had Angry Eyes. Apparently, maybe we go a little Angry <laughs> Eyes Ale. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. All right. Um, on the on the live show a couple of weeks ago, we were called the Three Ds. <laughs> 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 yeah. Trace did tell me to take my D and uh, and go somewhere with it. So, uh, well, those are our UCF observations, Mike. Let's take a quick break here. Coming up after this, we are midway through the season. Let's do a quick little recap on where we are and what's in front of us and and really realistic expectations, a, a transparent look at where UCF football is at six games into 2021 and where we're looking at 2022 and beyond. We're the sons of UCF. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajra, and in my spare time, when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge on. All right, 2021 is uh, the season's halfway through, Mike. Uh, we both predicted, or at least you predicted, that UCF would not lose a game. Turns out that was uh, incorrect. I predicted two losses. Turns out that was incorrect. After three, uh, after six games, rather, we are sitting at 500, three and three, uh, with obviously uh, three uh, wins at home and all three losses coming on the road, Mike. Uh, the good news is the schedule does break a little bit here. The remaining games, the majority of them are at home. So 
maybe that plays in our favor. So for those who don't have the schedule in front of you right now, we have Memphis, Temple, Tulane, UConn, SMU, and the Cows. Uh, only the uh, the Temple uh, and the SMU game are on the road. The other four are going to be at the bounce house, Mike. So we are currently 3-3. Three and three. You understand the litany of injuries that are in front of us. We know Isaiah Bowser is back. Ricky Barber seems like he's trying. Really no news on Jay Flash. There was a, an ugly rumor on Twitter that maybe he's thinking about going to the portal. I don't know if that's true at all, but uh, no real news on, on Jay Flash. Uh, tonight at his uh, coach's show, Gus Malzahn dropped one more nugget I didn't share with you, Mike. He shared that he expects Dylan Gabriel to come back before the end of the season. So at least he'll be eligible to come back. Whether he plays is a whole other story. But that, that could be another injury we get back. Obviously, we already know we lost Khalid Davis for the year. So the injuries are, are still a bit of an issue, Mike. With six games remaining, where do you see UCF at? What's realistic in your opinion? And what's kind of our, our, our top end? Where do you think we could go? Where do you think we're going to end up being? Oh, man. Well, you mentioned four of the six games are at home. We played very well at home. We win those games. The teams we're playing are not good. They're about bottom half of this conference. Talking about the Cows, Tulane, uh, Memphis is one and two in conference. Temple is one and one, and SMU is the one good team yeah. that's left out there. Yeah, if you sorry, if you if you take these, uh, uh, they're combined sixteen for twenty three. Uh, is uh, is is their current records? If you take out the six wins from SMU and take them out of the equation, it's ten and twenty three. So sixteen and twenty three are the remaining uh, the remaining records for the teams we have. You throw in a game against UConn, one and seven. Uh, obviously, a big rivalry game, the Civil Conflict game. Uh, that's got to be a win. The Cal game at home has to be a win. Tulane really should be a win. They're one and five, but nothing is a given, as we saw in Navy a couple weeks ago. That's the one that really is still sitting poorly with me. Mm. We win that game. We're, we're still in a decent spot, at least for the conference. As it is now, we need help. Um, but, it, you know, if you look at it, it's really not that far out of the realm of possibility. If Cincinnati wins the rest of their games, right, that means they beat SMU. That means they beat Tulsa. That means they beat, I believe, East Carolina they got to play. So all these other teams are going to end up with a couple of conference losses. If we beat SMU and they lose to Cincinnati, we're, we're ahead of them. The only team you really got to worry about is Houston, who doesn't play many teams. They play SMU. We need SMU to beat them. This is the thing we were doing last year. We have, what do we need to happen? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a way to get back to Cincinnati with Dylan Gabriel for a shot of redemption. I don't know if it will make a big difference. But uh, realistically, you gotta you gotta hope to win the home games. You know, the SMU on the road is gonna be tough. Um, it all starts this week with Memphis. I don't know. Memphis is probably the toughest of the remaining home games. Mm-hmm. If we can get past this one, you gotta figure we can win at Temple. You gotta mm-hmm. figure we can beat UConn. We can beat Tulane and, and the Cows. It's really Memphis and SMU, the two tougher ones remaining. It all starts Friday night. Um, realistically that worst case i would say four and two hopefully at least five and one and if you pull off the upset at smu anything's possible maybe by then we're a little healthier going into that game yeah i think memphis is going to be interesting mike it's a short week for ucf obviously this is kind of an interesting week uh news broke after the game that gus malzahn had to leave right away 
uh, had a family uh, emergency. We uh, we learned later that his daughter had uh, had given birth, and there had been some 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 things going on. Uh, he announced uh, on Sunday and even today and Monday that things were all all good uh, and that everything worked out okay. But he obviously left right after the game. Uh, as opposed to going back with the team. I don't know how much time that, that, that took him away from preparation. I think he said on the show he typically likes to get a Sunday practice in. Not sure if he was able to do that. So UCF is definitely going to be kind of moving the schedule around this week to play a Friday game. Memphis is, again, they're 4-3. They're and three. They, They've had an interesting season. They have a true freshman uh, quarterback who's playing okay. Um, I don't think he's playing lights out, but still a true freshman. They like to throw the ball more than run it, which maybe plays in our favor. I don't even really know anymore where our defense is at. So I think this is a tough one. And, and Temple, Mike, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're an improved football team. We have not played well on the road at all yet. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the hell to expect when we go on the road. Because you would look at a 3-3 three and three Temple and be like, ah, we're better than them. But we said the same thing about Navy. Right, and we actually thought the same of uh, uh, of of Louisville, and obviously that was a different team on, on who played then. So I don't know what to expect when we go on the road, um, and obviously we know SMU right now is is probably the second best team in the conference. So uh, I, if you told me we were three and three after this stretch again, I would not be surprised. I think four and two if we can figure out a way to to eke out uh, a win um, against uh, Memphis, and then um, and we'll see what happens at Temple. I don't know. Uh, I think three. If you told me three and three out of this, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. <laughs> this is the way the season's been going, but uh, that would that would be a big disappointment. I think three and three with this schedule remaining. Um, I gotta hope for at least four and two. And you know we're not given any favors either with this Memphis game coming off. We're on a short week coming off a road game on Saturday, not playing Friday. Memphis played on Thursday. Mm-hmm. They get a couple extra days rest. They were at home, so they should be well rested and ready for this game. Uh, we haven't gotten any favors. The week before that, Cincinnati played on a Friday. They had that extra day of rest than we did. So uh, it, it is what it is. Um, but we got to win these home games. We've never lost a space game before. That's right. Right. And That's right. This is a space game coming up. Should be a decent crowd. People should be into it. The the crowd has to help this team out. We willed them to victory last time against East Carolina. We got to do it again against Memphis. Get that win. Get things snowballing, going back in the right direction. Get a win, your first win on the road against Temple, and then maybe the team starts get building some more confidence to finish off the season. Well, Gus mentioned that's funny. He mentioned in his press conference that the schedule this year, you know, he essentially said the schedule is really kind of pushing us around a little bit. I think that's one adjustment he's making coming from the SEC. I mean, they didn't play a lot of games on Friday and Thursdays. So I think, uh, you know, being a, a part of the American Conference right now with the, with the TV schedule and trying to get on TV and, and playing or, you know, getting games when ESPN wants to put us on versus just playing when we play, uh, I think he's got to adjust to that. So we'll see how that holds up, Mike. So if we're looking at the schedule, essentially we think we can fall anywhere between 8 and 4 and 6 and 6 when it's all said and done. What uh, if, if we are uh, 8 and 4, will you consider this to be a, a good season? Will this be a season that you look back on and go, hey, you know what? All, all things considered, that's actually a pretty solid record based on where we were. No, I don't think you can say it's a good season <laughs> based on the expectations coming this year, but not because of anything of our fault. That's mostly because of injury. I'll take eight and four right now. Obviously, that's only that's five and one the rest of the way. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't say that it's a good year. Unless somehow eight and four gets us into that championship game, then I guess we got to take it. But that would mean three conference losses that I don't there is a very slim chance of that happening. Houston would have to fall apart. Yeah. And and SMU would need a, another loss on top of us and 
and Cincinnati, they'd have to lose somewhere else. That's not happening. So I wouldn't say it's a good year. From this point going forward, I'll take it eight and four, and and you win the bowl game nine and four. It's not a horrible year. Well, you said expectations, so I guess should did we as fans and you and I are just as guilty of this, by the way. Did do you think we overestimated how good this team was? Thinking back to what we saw at the end of twenty twenty, uh, obviously we had a, I think a lot of excitement about the transfer portal guys, but Mike, I, I don't know how you feel about the guys we brought in. I think. Who's been our best transfer portal guy? Is it, is it Bowser? Um, is it is it Bryson Armstrong? Uh, I mean, who's who's been the, the the transfer portal guy that came in this year that you think has played the best so far? I'd probably say Brandon Johnson. Brandon he's Johnson, yep. in the end Good zone. Call. Yep. He, he's scoring touchdowns seems like every week, even though he only had a couple patches this week. Yeah, and but, that was um, and that was a hypo uh, transfer portal guy, by the way. That wasn't even a, a Malzahn transfer portal guy. Yeah, and the the disappointment of this year has been the defense because we thought this was a completely revamped defense. We thought defensive line was going to have a lot of depth to it and it was going to be a strength of the defense and it was going to allow the secondary to maybe relax a little bit and not have to cover for as long. And that just has not been the case. We haven't been getting the pressure that we thought we were going to. Uh, it all starts with the guys on the edge that haven't been doing what we what we thought they were going to do. Yep. And Big Cat, let's be honest. We thought he was going to come in and be a complete game changer. He was a second-team All-SEC player coming over to the American. We thought he would dominate this league. By now, he should have five or six sacks. He's only got one. Uh, and you want to tell me the other teams are game planning for him and, and double-teaming him and all that? Well, then that should open up stuff for other guys. And that, nobody else has really stepped up either. So defense has been a big disappointment. Even though it wasn't good last year, we thought it was going to be a lot better. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out is did we overestimate how good this team could be? Did did we all just have on our, our, our fan goggles and, and didn't look at, you know, some of the things that potentially could be a play? I think we talked about the defense. We were concerned about a lot of new guys gelling together. But, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder, did, did we have the right um, expectations kind of leading into this? Right. Because obviously you, you see where we are. Uh, which again, if that's if that's eight and four, if that's seven and five, six and six, I guess it's it, it's hard to say. The injuries are going to always be the asterisk, though, right? Because it's going to be one of those that we're always going to say we never know what we could have been because we had so many injuries. Uh, and so I feel like what whatever happens, that the the injuries are going to be kind of the asterisk that hangs over this uh, this season so far. Yeah, <laughs> that is the story of the year. Even going back to the preseason, I mean, R.J. Harvey was supposed to be a big part of this offense. Yeah, hurt. You know, Bowser comes in, he looks awesome the first couple of games, and then he's out. I mean, that's, that's, those are big blows to the offense. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel changes everything about the team. Uh, so that that is that is a reason that we are where we are. I mean, I think we all agree we don't lose that Navy game. We probably, with all the injuries we sustained during the Louisville game, probably are able to finish that one off a lot better if those guys stay in the game. So... The season's completely different right now if our one loss is to the number two team in the country in Cincinnati and the other two games we pull off, I think we're feeling pretty decent about ourselves. Now, with the way all the injuries hit us and the way we are now 3-3, three and three, uh, things are not looking good. Well, the, what what happens beyond? So the one thing Gus said at his press conference is that you know he said, "Hey, we're building this thing. You know, we're we're going to build this thing from the ground up. We're going to be, you know, we're going to look back on this." And obviously, that's kind of a testament to, in, in some respects, to him saying that he recognizes that we aren't where we need to be. And I, I think the the injuries have showed one glaring thing, and that's just we don't have depth. 
right? We don't have the depth across the, the lines. We don't have depth in some of the key positions, Mike. A lot of that goes back to recruiting. And, and I took a quick look at some of the, the last three recruiting classes. So the 18, 19, and 20 class. Of the 18 class, Mike, we, we know there's not a, there's only a handful of guys left. The only guys on this list that are still playing in some capacity, Derek Gaines, Dylan Lester, Andrew Osteen, and Landon Woodson. Those are the only guys that are still actively kind of playing. There's some other guys, Brett Bell and Ed Collins are on here. Uh, but this is the class that featured Randy Charlton, Eric Gilliard, Kenny Tunier. Uh, so those guys long gone. You took a 2019 class. Actually, it looks, looks like it's okay in some respects. This is the class that includes Traymond Morris-Brash, Kenan Hester, Damaris Good. We haven't seen him play a lot. Dylan Gabriel's in this. Adrian Medley's in this class. Then we go through a handful of guys, Baker, Menard, Pinckney, that have not played. Tatum Bethune, Amari Johnson, uh, JJB is in here. Uh, Matt Lee's in here. Ryan O'Keefe, uh, Palue, and Obarski. So it looks like the 19 class has some, at least some, uh, potential to continue to be a strong one. But the 20 class, uh, we're already missing two guys. Stretch Cradle is already gone. Uh, we have Paul Rubelt, Zach Marsh-Rosian, uh, Johnny Richardson, Parker Navarro, Devontae Brown, Quade Mosier, Mike Lofton, Josh Telescar, Kervin Choate, Jordan Davis, Justin Hodges, Corey Thornton, Quadric Bullard, um, Devontae Brown, uh, Patrick Barnett, and some guy's name I can't pronounce, Apaye Takeye. Uh, so uh, of those names, Mike, we I mean, Johnny's playing, uh, Seleskar's playing, uh, Hodges, Thornton, and Bullen are getting in there. But outside of that, we haven't had a lot of production out of that 20 class. So how, how many years is Gus going to need, you think, to be able to put this thing um, in the right direction, seeing that we, we may have a couple of down recruiting classes, two, really two of the last three years could be a challenge for us. Yeah, those are all Hypel's recruiting classes. Now, Gus came in and, you know, he was on a short, short leash. Well, not short leash, but he only had a short amount of time to get his first class in. Now he's got these other guys for the next year. He's got the next two years at least to build this thing up. You know, you, we've seen guys come in as true freshmen and make big impacts in the past, especially in skill position guys. He can come in this this next year. And bring in a stud running back, a couple of nice receivers, some cornerbacks. Those guys can come in and play right away. That'll help. And then you get another year. I think by 2023, we're looking at where we he should have this team as a top 25 team, competing for the conference championship. And then by the time we move into the Big 12, I guess 2024 is it? Mm-hmm. Um, we should be ready to roll. You know, and that's three years of of Gus recruiting, four years of Gus recruiting. By then, uh, if we're not much improved, then something else has to go. So do you see if Mike's prognostication next year, we will still be a, a, a good team, uh, a solid team, but we, we still will have some opportunities to get better. If we, if we get hot and the right players play, we have opportunities. But in your mind, we are at least three years out from really kind of building the foundation of this thing back up where – it's more of a well-oiled machine like we were in 17, 18, like we saw from Cincinnati this week. So in your mind, that's that's a three-year effort um, from Gus and the staff? To get to where Cincinnati is now, yeah, it's going to take a couple of years. We could be a very good team next year. We can compete for the conference next year. If we stay healthy, you get Dylan Gabriel back. We still got a lot of weapons on offense. You know, the Ryan O'Keefe and those guys are going to be around. The defense has to get better. But Cincinnati is going to lose a lot of guys after this year. Sure. That, they're a veteran team. They got a bunch of guys going to the NFL. They're not going to be as good next year as they are now. Yeah. This is their shot. This is every team has that few year window. This is it for Cincinnati. They need to capitalize now. Not saying that they're going to go into tank next year. They still got a lot of good talented players, but this is their year to do it. 
you know, next year we can gain some ground on them. We can ha- have a shot to to be in that conference championship game and have a chance to to win it. The year after that, we have to be considered one of the favorites. We have to be one of the top teams or else something's wrong. Um, Thomas Castellanos looks like a, a nice quarterback recruit. Now you're hearing that Georgia is going after him, so hopefully we can hang on to him. Uh, the number one recruit, I think, in the country, Curtis Perry, has us in his top three. If we can somehow get a guy like that to come here, that changes everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah, a big-time defensive line guy, that's what we need. Guys that are going to make difference on the lines. I know it's not the sexy recruits that everybody wants to hear about, but that's where you win and lose these games. That's where Cincinnati kicked their ass. Was on the line of scrimmage. That's where we need to start making some games. Well, you mentioned Dylan Gabriel, Mike. In your mind, do you think we see Dylan Gabriel on the field again this season? I mean, we just talked about where we are. Um, again, anywhere from maybe five and one to three and three, right, record wise. Do, do you see a, a situation where Dylan actually gets on the field again this season? I hope so. There's still six weeks to go in this season. That's half the year. He can come back and play the last four games. That'd be great. Why not? You know, get him back in there, and that'll help for him next year. Uh, a couple weeks ago when this injury happened, uh, I was texting with a former quarterback of ours that's a friend of ours, a friend of the show, and he said, what are you guys flipping out about? This is a six-week injury. Dylan will be back. And I said, how do you know? Said, Who made you a doctor? Right? And he said, he said I-, I know this injury. It's a six-week injury. He he wanted to bet me that he would be back for the Temple game October 30th. I didn't take a bet. Uh, I hope he's right. He should have taken that bet. Back next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I should have taken it. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't appear that's going to happen. We're going to have to see Dylan back in practice for at least a week, right? At yeah. least a week or two throwing the ball. So you're thinking, what, if he doesn't come back for – Temple, then it's Tulane the next week, and then it's SMU. Can he make make it back by the SMU game about a month from now? It's possible. Well, ideally, uh, possible if, you'd like him back if he can come back for Tulane, get a little rust off, get to get a get a chance to play to go into SMU. That would be ideal, um, just to get something under his belt. But I mean, obviously, I'm not going to argue if he wants to come back for SMU. But I mean, perfect world scenario, he gets at least a week under his belt first. Yeah, a home game against a team that right now is one in five and Tulane. You should take care of it, even if it's to come in and play a half and just get his feet wet, get you know, loosen up the get the kinks out and whatever it is, get him ready to play again, and then a big game against SMU. If he, I mean, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. If we win this game against Memphis, we win at Temple, and then he comes in and takes it from there. Uh, there's still life in the season. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing Gus has to do, uh, and I just kind of laid it out a little bit ago, he's got to hit on the transfer portal stuff. Uh, I mean, we, we've been in the portal heavy the last couple of years, Mike. And really, I mean, you, you look at Jay Flash, uh, you look at for, before him, Trey Nixon, um, obviously Aaron Robinson, but really in the, in the, you know, the last couple of Heupel years and then the, the Malzahn year so far, we, we've, we've got to hit on the transfer portal because we're spending a lot of time in there and we're getting a lot of guy. I mean, we haven't seen, I don't know if Jaden Francois and witness protection. We have not seen him at all. Uh, Deontay Marks, was injured against B, uh, uh Bethune Cookman. I'm not sure if he's how he's doing. Um, you know, we, we talked about Jordan Johnson. He got one snap and the ball went off his hands. Nate Craig Myers hasn't played a ton. Um, so we're, we're in the portal. We've got, uh, two guys who are injured where got injured, obviously out of the portal and RJ Harvey from last year. 
we've got to start hitting on these portal guys, Mike, because we're, we're spending a lot of time on these guys and we're plugging them in. And so far, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we, we, we miss probably, you know, three out of every four. We're just not getting production that we think we're going to get. Yeah. Transfer portal is hit or miss uh, for every Trey Nixon. There's a Brandon Winbush for every Aaron Robinson. There's guys that come in and don't do anything. Uh, we've been pretty lucky the last two years to have guys like Nixon and Robinson come in and be big time players for us. Every school goes through this. People bring guys in. A lot of times the guys that are in the transfer portal are in there because they're not getting playing time in other spots. And that's because they're not as good as they're supposed to be. Mm. You know, you're talking about Jordan Johnson. Jordan Johnson was a five-star recruit, I believe mm-hmm. coming out of high school and you can't catch a pass down the sideline uh, right through his hands. Something's not right there. We actually had another receiver from Notre Dame who's, I believe his name was Johnson too, back in uh, about eight, 10 years ago. He was supposed to be, uh, have the best hands you've ever seen. He came in and, no, Jackson. It was Richard Jackson, I believe was his name. And he came in and never did anything for us. Right. We played a couple games, sucked. So transfer <laughs> portal, you hear about the stars, you hear all this, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think Gus has got to get better. I mean, there's so many names. Uh, Herkley Latu, we haven't seen. I don't, I don't think he's played all year, Mike. I'm not sure. Maybe he's not healthy. Obviously, we know Mark Anthony Richards. We're not sure if he's healthy. We've got to start hitting more on the on these transfer portal guys. But, uh, you know, I think, to your point, there's still, there's still things to play for. And you can certainly hang your hat and be like, man, this is not the season we thought I was going to be. Uh, and, and you may end up being correct, right? You may end up being right. We're not playing for a conference championship. It feels like more and more that's becoming less likely. But there's still some things to play for, and I'm curious to see how Gus and the staff really put it together. Let, let's not forget, Gus also put the staff together pretty quickly, and I'm curious, I wonder if this will be the same staff next year. Uh, I wonder if we see any changes now that Gus has a chance to maybe you know, find his own guys. Uh, Daryl Wyatt, the receivers coach, was a surprise last-minute hire, uh, holdover from the Hypo staff. Rumors are pretty much that Hypo fired him, and, and he was gone. But then when Hypo left, he sort of was still available and got rehired. Uh, so you, you wonder if Gus has more time. Obviously, the receiving core has not been good. Is, is Daryl Wyatt and somebody who's at peril? We Obviously, special teams hasn't done well. We wonder if anybody, uh, uh, maybe Brian Blackman's in peril there. So I wonder if Gus will also make any any staff changes when he has more of a full off season next year. Yeah, staffs change every year. There's usually a, a change. Guys are getting fired in other spots around the country, head coaches, so then the guys on those staffs have to find some place you're talking about Ed Ogeron at LSU. Does Gus have any relationship with those guys on his staff? Hey, guys in Miami. We just took a guy, Ice Harris, from Miami. My, uh, Manny Diaz is about to be out of there in Miami. Does he know any guys over there? You know, so I'm sure he's got connections all over the place. Like you said, he didn't have a long time to put his staff together. Now that he's got a year, uh, I'm sure he has a list. Every coach has a list in their pockets because they know these guys are they're, they come and go. You know, so. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple different faces next year. Well, what won't uh, change is the Suns of UCF will be here to cover the remaining six, hopefully seven games for you. Uh, we'll obviously do that here on the pod and on the live show as well, Mike. And uh, and when we do these shows, we always do picks. Mike uh, will go through the slate of games in the American Conference, and he will tell you who is going to win. We'll do that for you right after this, the Suns of UCF. This is UCF head football coach Gus Malzahn, and you're listening to the Future of UCF podcasting with Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. 
Boom. All right. If they play him, UCF Mike will pick him. We'll get to Mike's pick in a second, Mike. But Thursday, if you followed us on the live show, Trace Trucco generously donated two tickets to the Friday night game, UCF and Memphis. Uh, and the stipulations were you had to leave a five-star review for the Sons of UCF. Mike, I went through all the lengthy five-star reviews and happy to announce our winner is uh, on Twitter. It's at all, A-L-L-L, night. So at all with four L's, night. You are the lucky winner of, uh, of two tickets. Uh, I will be in contact with you so that we can get your email address and we can get you over the tickets. We appreciate the, uh, the five-star rating. We appreciate everyone for listening, everybody uh, who um, participated. But uh, all night, you are going to be enjoying two tickets to UCF and Memphis, courtesy of the Sons of UCF. Yeah, this guy apparently is a longtime listener, says he's listened since the very first episode. Yeah. So he deserves these tickets. I'm glad he's getting them. Um, I'm thankful for the reviews. Yeah. So if we can just keep getting a few more of these, that'd be great. Keep them coming. Yeah, we've got uh, – I've got like nine tickets to this Memphis game. So, uh, so maybe we'll do more giveaways. Who the hell knows? But uh, it's not the only game in town this weekend, Mike. The American Conference plays a few, and you're going to run through those. Give us your picks and give us an update on where we're on the pool tracker. Oh, yeah. Uh, do we have to do this segment anymore? Because <laughs> it's not going good. Okay, the final time we're doing the Mike's picks. Last week, my picks on the show, I really was going to switch them all. But I, I said, once I say I'm on here, I have to keep them. I'm a man of my word. But I didn't feel good about any of them the more I thought about it. Went 0-3 on my picks last week. I lost the UCF-Cincinnati game. I lost the Cows in Tulsa. And I lost Memphis and Navy. I think I was picking more with my heart last week than I was with my head. Uh, I got to stop doing that. For the season now on the show, I am 7-13-1. In the pool tracker last week, I went 0-4. My record there is 27-35. and I'm now tied with Trace. I've fallen that far. Yeah. He picked up a game on me last week. You, my friend, 32-30. and Still above water there. Yeah, I forgot to make my picks, so I actually did not pick anything last week. (laughs) You lost ground to the Nightwalker, who's still in the lead, Mm -hmm. 35-27. But we have a guy that has joined him, tied it up. SJB43 has tied him, 35-27. Now we got a duel going on for that hat and hoodie. Um, Let's see how the rest of this week. we still got six weeks to go, and anything can happen. I got three games here, and I'm letting you guys know which ones I'm taking, so you might as well just go the opposite on these. That's three guaranteed wins for you. Crank up the music. Let's get this thing over with. Let's move. Game one, Tulane, plus 14 at SMU. The Green Wave were the darlings of week one in college football where they took Oklahoma down to the wire, lost 40-35 to since then. They're one and six on the year. The one win against mighty Morgan State Bears. Nice. Nobody beats. Nobody pushes Morgan State no Bears one. around. Yeah, no one. Except for Tulane. Uh, their defense gave up 61 points to Ole Miss, 28 points to UAB, 52 to East Carolina, and 40 to Houston. They're coming off a bye week, but they're going on the road this week. They're going to give up at least 40 to SMU. SMU is ranked number 21 right now in the AP poll. Also coming off a bye. 
Santa Mordecai and company, they're putting up some points of their own. I see them putting up even more points against Tulane. I give me a like a 51-30 type game. SMU rolls by three touchdowns. I'll cover the 14 points with the Mustang. Yeah, I think SMU is on a roll, Mike. They're they're scoring uh, points in bunches. Uh, Tulane. I, I mean, I thought they were going to be good too. I thought this Michael Pratt was. Uh, uh, was maybe poised for a breakout style season. Not sure where they went off the rails. I haven't really t- watched a ton or any of their games, frankly. Uh, so I expected them to be a little bit better. But maybe it was just an Oklahoma thing. Obviously, they are now on their second quarterback, Spencer Rattler, um, entering the transfer portal pretty soon, I would assume. It looks like they found a new QB in Caleb Williams. So maybe Oklahoma was the thing, not Tulane. I thought they'd be better. But I think SMU, they're on a roll right now. They're on a hot streak. Uh, so I think that's a, uh, that's a that's an SMU pick for me. Game number two, Cincinnati mm. minus 27 points at Navy. And the Bearcats, they're going for style points now. They've been very impressive the last couple of weeks. We know that firsthand. They beat us up. They beat us by five touchdowns. Their defense is the real deal. They're disciplined. They can stop the run. That's all Navy does is run the ball. Navy is trash. I, I said it when we lost to them. You I keep said it, it yeah. that game. They are not good. That is the lo- worst loss of the year for us. It's still haunting me to this day. They've won one game this year. It's against us. I don't see them. I don't see many other wins on their schedule. Maybe one. Maybe two. If you want to say they beat Army at the end of the year. I don't know who else they're beating. Cincinnati's going to go in there. And they're going to kick the living crap out of them. They're going to win this game by five, six touchdowns. I'm not scared of 28, 27 points. Give me the Bearcats to cover on the road. Um, I, I don't know. I still don't know how we lost that Navy game. I don't care who was injured. But <laughs> too many things went wrong for us to lose that game. What was the, what was the score last week of Navy-Memphis? Do you remember off the top of your head? No. Uh, but Memphis covered the spread, whatever it was, because I picked Navy to keep it close, and they didn't. Yeah. So. I think they were, I don't know, 35, 11. I just made that up. Yeah, cool. Uh, I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like Cincinnati is due for just one of those games, right, where they're still going to win, but, you know, they're not going to play as well. Navy is such a weird team to play, uh, but uh, obviously the, the D line for Cincinnati is really good. Um, but I just feel like Cincinnati is due for one of those weirdo, like head-scratching style games. Um Obviously, we know Navy wants to control the ball, but if you can't run against Cincinnati, you have no shot. Uh, and that's all Navy does. I, so part of me wants to have the stones to go Navy here, but I just can't talk myself into thinking they're going to run on that Cincinnati defense. So I guess give me the Bearcats to cover that thing. Yeah, it was 35-17. That wasn't far off. Memphis beat Navy last week. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't see. This will be a game where Cincinnati shuts Navy down to like under 100 yards total. And just completely dominates. Yeah. Um, game number three, I am not touching the UCF game. Get that out of your heads right now. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even going near that thing. I don't want to put any more bad luck on us. East Carolina, plus 13 points at Houston. The Pirates com- coming off a of bye week following the loss to UCF. You know, maybe their offense isn't even that good. Yeah, I, I know they scored 52 against Tulane, but Tulane has proven to be garbage. They only scored 31 against Charleston Southern, only 19 against Appalachian State, and only 20 against South Carolina. Maybe we're giving our defense too much credit for the performance against East Carolina. Uh, they haven't been great. The Cougars now have won five in a row. The last two games on the road at Tulsa and at Tulane, they won easy. 
45-10 at Tulsa, 40-22 against Tulane. Houston's got the softest schedule in the American. They don't play Cincinnati. They don't play us. They get Memphis and SMU at home. They, uh, they've already played their toughest road games. I think they play the Cows later on the road and at Temple, maybe. Uh, but this could be a trap game for them because mm. the next week they play S- at SMU. Not at SMU. They play against SMU at home. Maybe looking forward to that game. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be a factor. It could be. This is a four o'clock game at home. These two teams haven't played each other since 2018, and Houston's won the last two meetings. This is a rematch of the 2009 Conference USA Championship game. You remember back then? That was the year. Remember Houston when we beat them for the first ever ranked win in UCF history? Houston was favored in that season. They were favored in that championship game. East Carolina won that one, 38-32. Give me the Pirates to keep it somewhat close. They're getting 13 points on the road. Maybe Houston looking forward to SMU. I'll take the Pirates in this one to at least cover the spread. Damn it. That's exactly what I was going to do. Yeah, look, I think, you know, uh, Houston, I don't, I don't know if we think of them as a defensive juggernaut. Uh, I mean, they have held some some bad teams to uh, to low totals here. Uh, but to your point, they haven't. Their their, their schedule is pretty sharp and soft at this point. Um, ECU, we know they have an explosive running back. We know Holt Nailers can do some stuff with the football. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I wouldn't. I'm gonna roll with you in this one. I feel. I don't know if I should pick with you. This is just Jesus. Um, but I, I feel like you might be honest. I'm here with the Pirates. I feel like that may be something. Uh, that they keep it close. I don't know if they win outright, but give me the 13, you said? I'll, I'll take the 13. Yeah. Like I said, we need Houston to drop this game. And if they lose to Houston, I don't know, if they lose to SMU, then that puts us right back in the picture. We can kind of control our own destiny as yeah. long as Cincinnati wins the rest of their games. But that's not going to happen because that's what we need to happen. It's not going to happen. Since it, you know what's going to happen? Houston's going to make it close. They're going to tease us like they're going to lose to East Carolina. They'll still pull out the victory. But East Carolina will cover the 13. Um, or Houston will just blow them out as this has been going on for the last couple of weeks here on the show. All my picks go to crap. Houston wins this game by four touchdowns. I look like an idiot and I go in with three again. Yeah. That's also a possibility. I'm, I'm running the risk that you said this already and I wasn't listening. Um, but they play SMU the next week. So is this a trap game? <laughs> uh, Steve Martin, Martin was probably coming. Right. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure if he said that already, but they have SMU coming up next, which uh, maybe trap game. Who knows? And then they have the cows, which is you know like playing, you know, a sixth grade team. Yep, yeah, yeah. So SMU, um, Houston, not many tough games left. They get past East Carolina and SMU. They might just be cruising into the championship game against Cincinnati. All right, so those are three hot off the press games for Mike. Uh, hopefully, I remember to see the, the pull tracker. Usually, sends me an email and reminds me. I didn't get one this week, so I totally forgot about it. So uh, I'm gonna blame that uh, that snafu on the pool tracker. But uh, make sure you follow along if you're not already. Uh, again, we have some cool prizes. We have one of what's now a very limited number of Suns UCF hats available. And uh, we have a nice Citronade hoodie, which uh, will look great for next year's space game. Maybe the weather is getting a little chillier. Maybe you're going to need that hoodie. So those are the uh, the items that you can win. Uh, so make sure you're following along there. And again, congratulations to at all 4 l Knight. Uh, you are the winner of the tickets for the Memphis game. Coming up next, we will close things up around here with Cow of the Week. Don't move. Move. See what I did there? Yeah.
Okay, sons of UCF, both of you, you are the father. All right, cow of the week time, Mike. Obviously, each and every week we pick something, someone that uh, we thought was funny, maybe did something kind of silly, stupid, something we want to make fun of. That becomes the cow of the week, and that's a uh, homage to our friends over there in uh, West Central Florida, Mike. Uh, who's not cow of the week is Matt Wright, by the way. Matt Wright, two 50-yard field goals, one to have the Jaguars get a win on the board. Matt, Matt Wright, definitely not cow of the week. That was a nice performance. Yeah, that first one, I don't know how that thing came back in. and made it 54 yards, and then he came right back. Uh, the game winner was a no-doubter right down the middle against the Dolphins. You know, a lot of UCF fans are also Dolphin fans, but also a lot of UCF fans are also Jaguar fans. So that might have been split down the middle. Um, but good for Matty Wright, man. Finding himself a job. Now he's earned himself a job and a place to stay in Jacksonville. Uh, good for him. Felt really good for him watching that kick go through the uplands. Yeah, I feel like I saw a lot of the Dolphins faithful were still um, relatively pleased that at least if they're going to lose, they're going to lose to Matt Wright. Uh, in the UCF uh, lineage there. There's a guy who did not kick a 50-yard field goal his entire uh, uh, UCF career uh, and then puts two through late in the game to get Urban Meyer his first ever win in the NFL. Hopefully he keeps that job. I know they had Josh Lambeau. I know he was on the IR, I think. I'm not sure if he's coming back soon. Hopefully he keeps that job, but uh, definitely good to see some good news that isn't Cow of the Week, Mike. But there was a lot of funny stuff and a lot of bad stuff in some cases that does make Cow of the Week. Uh, Why don't you go first? Who you have as Cow of the Week? All right. Well, this one came very easily to me the other night when I saw it when it had transpired over there in where is it Knoxville Tennessee Knoxville yeah he, where our friends Josh Heupel he Heupel and Danny White now are in control they had a raucous crowd out there against Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin uh, a, a pretty close game there towards the end and then the fans got a little restless throwing things onto the field Anything you could think of, a a golf ball, a mustard bottle, I saw water bottles being thrown, everything just flying onto the field because the referees actually made the right call. It was like a fourth and 30 or fourth and 24. Uh, they got ruled short of the first down and they ended up losing. But to throw things onto the field like this, it was just not a good look, man. You're talking about college game, college kids on the field and you're drunk throwing up and who's bringing these things to a game Who, who's bringing a golf ball to a, a game yeah. what are you planning on doing with that unless you're already <laughs> planning on throwing it at somebody yeah uh, mustard bottle did somebody run up to the concession stand real quick and take that thing or no no my ready? i have a theory my mustard uh, bottle theory is that's a that's a vessel to smuggle alcohol I heard that. Yeah, it could be like a flask. Right? Yeah, that's like you know you squirt it. It's basically squirt it right in there, right? Like that's 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 my theory uh, because I don't think a lot but, of concession stands like just have like loose bottles of ketchup and mustard laying around. I feel like it's either those packets or that like squeezy thing. But I mean, I know at UCF they're pretty strict. You just can't you can't bring in a beer, right? You can't bring in a, a container of any sort. You can't bring in a purse that's more than like six inches. A plastic bag has to be clear. They don't have these kind of rules. Maybe said there's so many people in Tennessee. There's 100,000 fans. Maybe they have loo- little looser restrictions. People are coming in with full mustard bottles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing. You're coming through the gate. 
Where are you putting that? Is that fit in your pocket? I don't know. I don't know. Are, 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 are you or are you not the man who once wore like a bra with, with booze in it, not into a game? I didn't wear the bra. Okay. My sorry. friend Ricky wore the bra. <laughs> Fair I enough. just drank out of it. Gotcha. <laughs> just goes to show where there's a will, there's a way, Mike. Wherever, wherever you need to find a mustard bottle, a mustard bottle may be available to you. <laughs> I guess, yeah. You can find a way to do it. Uh, but just classless. I know it's not all Tennessee fans. It's a handful of them, but it's a little more than a handful of them because there was a lot of debris on the field. You hate to see stuff like that. People can get hurt. I know uh, as a Giants fan many years ago, there was the big snowball incident with people throwing snowballs. A lot of people lost their jobs because of that. They went back and people in the newspaper, or, or there's pictures of them throwing the snowballs. People got fired from their jobs. I think people, a lot of people got arrested at this game. Uh, just some, you know, football games. That's why sometimes I don't even like bringing my wife to games anymore. I don't like bringing my kids to too many games because too many drunks out there. They don't know how to handle themselves. It's not fun sometimes when that happens. So, uh, Tennessee fans are the cows of the week for the, this week. It was an easy pick for me. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for not making me have to scrounge around to try to find the cow. Because usually that's what happens right before the second. It, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was an ugly display. Obviously, you never want to see that kind of stuff happen. Somebody could have gotten seriously hurt. I mean, Lane Kiffin got looks like he got hit in the leg. I will say this though: Lane Kiffin plays the heel really, really well. I mean, he's out there waving to people. Uh, he's out there giving them the number one finger, and uh, they actually made a nice catch on a water bottle thrown his way that looked like it definitely had dip in it. Um, but it was an ugly scene, and and Josh and Danny, uh, our former friends here in Orlando, have quite a mess on their hands, right? Because now Danny's got to figure out how to how to punish uh, or to punish at all. The SEC fined them a little bit of money, I think two hundred fifty k. Hypel obviously is supposed to be in charge of that, uh, and and uh, while that also all, doesn't all fall on him. Uh, you know, he's got to continue to find ways to, to unite the fan base. Uh, that was a pretty cool scene prior to that, Mike. I mean, that place was, was jam-packed, uh, and uh, it was overall a good game that, that just got ruined. It was funny to see kind of Hypel, you know, when you don't have a rooting interest in him anymore to kind of evaluate his offense. And, you know, he always did seem to find new and inventive ways to uh, to come up short. Uh, this time, no pun intended. Uh, the funniest thing about that, actually, maybe Cal of the Week, did you see how that game ended with their, with their quarterback, Joe Milton? No, so they had a they had a fourth down uh, with like three seconds to go or something like that. Milton came in to to, to mop up, and uh, basically they have one play, they have one option left, and uh, Milton rolled out and uh, just decided to scramble uh, and had to go like thirty yards, decided to scramble, and then uh, just just nicely just got out of bounds, and the game was over. <laughs> Didn't even attempt to make a throw uh, anywhere near the end zone, so. Uh, the ending of that game was was quite head scratching as well. So a lot of cow of the week options uh, available to you there, Mike. I have two. One I don't know if it's funny. I just I, I just found it funny. Did you happen to see the viral video going around of the Mac Brown, North Carolina head coach, Manny Diaz, Miami head coach, handshake at the end of the game on Saturday? Did you happen to see that video? No, I heard somebody mention he grabbed his elbow and it was a little awkward, but I didn't see it. Yeah, I never went to look. I, it. I did the lip reading here. I swear to you, this is what happened. You all can find this video. I swear to you, this is what was said. Mac Brown says to Manny Diaz, I swear, I'm not making this, this is not a joke. He says to him, are you going to get fired? And Manny says, probably, yeah. And then Mac says to him, 
That's not fair. And then I don't know what it said after that. But on the field after the game, Mac Brown legit walks up to Manny Diaz. And in my opinion, 99% says, are you going to get fired? I feel like that's a conversation you have before or after the game. I don't really know. Either way, it was funny. I swear to you, Mike, find that clip on Twitter. Read the lips. Tell me I'm wrong. Mac Brown says, are you going to get fired? Manny says, probably, yeah. And Mac says, that's not fair. I feel like that's a conversation you don't have on the field after a game. <laughs> Everybody knows Manny Diaz. Yes, fired, exactly. Right? But have that have that conversation elsewhere, Mike. Here's the other thing. I feel bad doing this one, Mike. Are you familiar um, with a uh, with a game between uh, Lacrosse and Platteville? Uh, it's a D three college football game. Are you familiar uh, with this particular matchup? No, lacrosse, I know it as. A sport. Yeah, itself. no, There's no. A school name lacrosse. Yeah, school name uh, lacrosse. Platteville driving down the uh, the field, Mike. They are trailing 24-23. Looking at this picture here, there's about seven seconds on the clock. They are at, looks like, the 15-yard line. Uh, they have no timeouts, and they are in position now to kick a game-winning field goal. The Platteville quarterback takes the snap, and what should he do, Mike? Spike the ball, right? Stop the clock, mm-hmm. get the kicker on there. What does he do? He takes a knee instead. <laughs> <laughs> takes a knee. Clock keeps running. Obviously, then there's confusion. The clock continues to run. They try to get back up to the line. They don't have enough time, and time expires because the Platteville quarterback, as opposed to spiking the ball, took a knee instead. I feel bad for the kid. That's, I assume that's a mental error, mental mistake. That video is also out there on Twitter if you want to take a look at it. Uh, poor kid uh, obviously just got locked up there, so happily takes a knee, and that uh, that's not going to cut it. That is the reason we invented this Cow of the Week segment, yes. for bonehead plays like that. Yes. Uh, he's never going to live that down. This kid. Yeah, poor Everybody guy. I mean, knows. yeah. He's poor... going to have to move out of Platteville. <laughs> I don't know what the what the population of Platteville is, what the real estate market is there, but uh, yeah, poor poor kid. Uh, um, hopefully, hopefully things turn around for him and uh, he becomes a productive college quarterback wherever he decides to continue on uh, on his college college quarterback journey. Mike, this journey, the Sons of UCF episode one fifty two is coming to an end. Uh, how do you think? Uh, do you feel better talking all this out? Do you feel like we we accomplished uh, some good stuff here tonight? Yeah, like I said, I wasn't that angry after this game. Um, I, I thought, or I expected us probably to lose. I was hopeful that we would win. But I knew right away that it was over, and I took it a lot better. I'd much rather lose this way than the way we lost against Navy and the way we lost against Louisville, where you're dragging me on there for a few hours and you rip my heart out at the end. Mm-hmm. Let me know up front. It's not going to be our day, and uh, I took it well. So this week... This week's episode wasn't as hard for me to do as it was the last couple of losses. Mm-hmm. So we move on, and now let's see where the rest of the season goes. Well, it starts uh, again Friday. Uh, we have Memphis coming to the bounce house. They are a, a decent team. Uh, it's definitely a team that, that has some, uh, some talent on there, and if UCF's not ready to play, we don't have a better game plan offensively, in my humble opinion. Uh, this could be uh, another uh, another long afternoon, evening. Uh, it's an ESPN2 game. It's on ESPN2. I think it's a 7 p.m. kickoff, if I have that right, Mike. So uh, you can uh, uh, get to your television. Uh, if you want to do the Mark Daniels sync up, give yourself some time to get all that in place. The good news is we will have more on this matchup Thursday on the live show. That's 8 p.m. That is on Facebook. That is on YouTube. Maybe on Twitter, Mike. Here's the problem. If you guys hear me out for a second, 
Twitter is absolutely killing our live show because they went through this new thing and I'll save you all the technical details, but you can no longer leave comments from Twitter on the show anymore. You can only leave comments on Facebook and on YouTube. We're thinking about switching to Twitch, but that's a lot of work for people. A lot, you didn't got to sign up for a Twitch account. I don't know what we're going to do yet, Mike. Uh, we'll figure it out. If you guys have a, 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 I guess a preference, let me know. Uh, we definitely want to find more easy ways to give you the show, and but we want you to interact as well. So either way, live show on Thursday, 8 p.m., me, Mike, and Trace. Make sure you are uh, in uh, in your seat and you're watching that. I'm sure a whole host of guests will be joining us. Uh, probably Nick Patty again because he's now an official member of the Suns UCF. So welcome, Nick. Uh, and uh, who the heck knows who else will be there, Mike. So that's Thursday on the live show. Yeah, Patty's been on the show more than anybody besides me, you, and Trace. So mm. um, looking forward to it. He's got some good insight every week. Um, the Twitch thing, I don't know what to tell you. I've never <laughs> been on Twitch. Sure. <laughs> Twitch is something I do after a loss. Mm. My eyes start twitching. Um, but other than that, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. And you can always find us on YouTube. Everybody has access to YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And our website, twonightsmedia.com. There you go. So no excuse to miss those shows and be able to participate and comment along with us. That's, that's to me, one of the best parts of the show is seeing the comments that you, got, that you post up there. A lot of them make me laugh during the show, so... Hopefully, you guys are able to find their way on there. All right, you heard Mike. No excuses. Be there 8 p.m. on Thursday. Well, half of them down, half of them still to play. A lot of things still in front of us. So, either way, we will be here throughout the duration to try to bring you whatever we can as the season continues to unfold. Again, catch us uh, on all of our social media platforms at Suns UCF and uh, also follow Mike at UCF Mike One. Everybody have a fantastic week, and we will talk to you all on Thursday. Go Knights! Charge on! Sports Social Podcast Network.